Have you ever had somebody just have a stroke on a podcast and die? Because this might be a first. <laughs> we'll send the uh, the prop to your funeral. <laughs> Thanks, Jen, I appreciate it. Jen, you win. You get the prop. She literally went all out. Like, <laughs> if you have an aneurysm. <laughs> From trying to figure out what Jennifer knows, you get the 212 prop. You win. <laughs> Welcome back to the word of the witnesses. <laughs> yes! Nailed it! You barely got through that. Did I know you? I did. Did you nail it? I, did, I, I nailed it as close as it's going to be nailed with you guys ah, cackling in the background. Jed is back! I'm back! Back streets, back! Alright! Oh, you're back. You haven't been back with us since the night room. Hooray! I know, I've missed you guys. And this is my last episode with you guys. No, well, it's not. No, it's yeah, not. Yeah, it is. Nah. Uh, I beg to differ. I Everybody else signed up for the rest of the episodes. I couldn't hog them all. Whatever. So if It'll you need cancel. me to fill in and, uh, why do and you give hate, you some... Why do you hate season three and season four, John? <laughs> yeah, that's obviously <laughs> the message here. But I mean, if you need me to come back and give you some mostly enjoyable content, then I am free. <laughs> You know, I'm good. I'm good, you guys. Jen is available for hire. <laughs> I am I am available for any old work. <laughs> I'm just a podcast whore. Oh. What what are what are people listening to? <laughs> I thought I thought I, I said the word of the witnesses. Ready Who sure are you listening that. to? This oh. is Beep, and that is Jen, and we're joined. I'm joined, everyone's joined, as always, by the lovely C. Hey guys. Hi, Cece. Hey. So, yes, Jen got to do the introductions because of the Nightroom episode. I was accused and pled no contest to gimmick infringement. Yes, <laughs> this is correct. It it was a crime. Stole my gimmick. So, welcome back. Here we are. So, a couple things. A little housekeeping. Uh, this is a rewatch podcast. Their spoilers abound uh, from beginning and to end, especially with this episode. Good lord, contextually, the entire show like hinges on a lot that goes there. So if you have not finished the show, go finish it. Come back and play. Yeah, and then you'll cry. You'll cry yeah, along with I mean, us. definitely cry. We do want to thank you, f- viewers. Nope, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> One podcast calls them readers. <laughs> thank the readers. <laughs> I mean, you can watch the icon as it plays. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yep, we got in. Uh, thank you for your feedback on Lullaby. We're actually going through all of it, and we will record a special mini-sode celebrating the episode that we'll take uh, your thoughts and hopefully get some behind-the-scenes nuggets as well. Um, apparently, Cece will be judging which one is the best. No. I'm just making that up will. right now. No, we will. But we will award a prop that is um, from episode 212, Blood Washed Away. Nobody has any feelings about that episode, so there's no reason to be excited about that. Nah. Um, wait, whoa, 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 wait, what do I get for being here? Do I get anything? A prize? Do I get, get a to prize? talk to us. Oh. 
That feels like work. Jen, you can submit something separately about Lullaby, and then you can Can we just record whatever part of this podcast I, like, cry on for, like, an hour and then submit that? Oh, but it was... (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then she cried for 58 more minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just have a time lapse. We'll have a time lapse. (laughs) 40, it'll be like Spongebob, like 40, 40 minutes later. <laughs> Seven years later. <laughs> okay, so um, I actually purposefully have not read like substantively what anyone submitted because I didn't want any of it to like seep in accidentally and accidentally steal people's ideas. So when oh, we're done, look at you. we're done recording this. We're going to go through all of those, put together that mini episode and just pick the one that we like, I don't know. We just thought our criteria, I guess will be the most awesome. I don't know. This, this <laughs> is a podcast with integrity. You guys. Yeah. Preserving oh, I didn't other read them because I'm lazy. <laughs> A podcast that's half integrity and half lazy. <laughs> my fav- my favorite combo. <laughs> that needs a ship name. I love it. <laughs> you mean our ship? Our ship? Lazy and integrity? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lin Lintegrity? <laughs> Liz Tegrity. Yeah, we'll workshop. We'll work yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Let us know your ideas. Um, so it's not it's easy true. like casserole. No, I never, I never want to steal other people's ideas, so I also did not read it. Yeah, so um, we will we'll be back with that and excited. It's a real prop courtesy of the very generous Mr. Metallus, so be excited. Um, are you guys ready to discuss one of the greatest episodes of television of all time? Guys, I'm so ready. Let me tell you, I am missing... Both Legends of Tomorrow and Vanderpump Rules and, dare I say, uh, the whatever triumphant victory speech Becky Lynch is giving on WWE Raw right now. Wait, wait, none of that? To talk to you guys. Wait a minute. To talk to you guys. None of that's important. This is important to me. Y'all are important. You didn't even mention, like, the NCAA men's basketball championship (laughs) going on right now. in it like what? my team's not in it i don't care virginia and texas tech oh jesus yeah. uh, hook them horns rain oh no. bang bang texas it's tech a- bang bang a- bandits or whatever the fuck they are that is offensive that's the university of texas <laughs> fucking hook them horns for texas tech damn it judge i've got a finger i know it's finger guns it's finger like, guns okay whatever all right gig them uh, All right. No, oh, that's A and M. Oh my God! Oh, I'm uh, I'm getting her riled up. You are. We haven't gotten so, into it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm like I'm missing so much for this because I'm a tasteful garbage person. But I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but here with you guys talking about Lullaby, All the right. episode that changed this whole series for me. Yes. You're really vying for that uh, prop, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> A little brown nose. He has to work. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it won't. No. Um, so, episode 208 Lullaby, written by Sean Tretta, directed by Stephen A. Adelson. He will also direct, he also directed Nurture, which is freaking epic in season three. Um, and he's directed a bunch of other TV, um, Nikita, Blacklist, Sleepy Hollow, a lot of other television series. Um, okay. So, you, we were just saying, you're like, Jen, did you watch this live? 
So, okay, I don't think I did. I I rarely watch anything live, and I don't remember if I watched... I, yeah, I think I did watch season two either... I'm trying to remember now. I think I did start watching season two when it started. I did not watch season one because I wasn't into it. And we'll get on, we'll get into that later because I think it was this, a clip from this episode that got me interested in 12 monkeys and be like, you know, I should be watching that show. It's, it seems like it would be my jam. So I'm just going to go watch season one on, on demand and then check out the rest of it as it airs. So I think maybe I either watched it the week of the weekend of or something like that. Um, but. Yeah, I think I think it was pretty close to when it aired. I th- I think like one of my biggest like regrets in life is that I didn't watch season two live, so I couldn't have like participated in what must have been like a fucking fandom meltdown <laughs> after this episode. It makes me sad. Um, but yeah, we were. And Beep, did you watch it live or did you watch one and two? I watched one and two right before. Th- okay. Okay. Unless I'm lying, but I definitely didn't see live. Got it. Okay. Um, but Jen, I agree with what you said. Like, it takes the whole show. And obviously, like, we've been talking for a total of what is probably now 55 hours about <laughs> season one and season two. It's not to say that there haven't been great episodes. Yeah. But we have th- surpassed <clears throat> the runtime of the series. <laughs> Just to be clear. No, have Jesus we? Jesus Christ. I'm sure. Oh, I mean, man. 55 hours would be that, but. <laughs> so it truly, like, to me, it was the episode where it finished and we were like, oh, wow, this went from a show that we really enjoyed to like, holy shit, this is like next level to you. Yeah. I mean, this was, to me, this was the episode that made me kind of sit up and take notice of it as a oh you're gonna fuck with my emotions then too are you but you're you're not just gonna fuck with my found family type of emotions where you know i was getting into the whole road trip between uh cassie and jennifer i thought that was really affecting me um you know seeing kind of uh deacon and cassie's relationship and everything kind of coalescing into you know um, team time but this was the episode was like oh we were gonna go deep and hit me hard and just kind of make me weep on the couch for like two hours i see i see what we're doing here and i hate you and both i, lo- I both hate you and love you for it um i mean this was i mean this was the episode that my jaw dropped at the end i'm like holy fuck i'm so invested in this show like i was invested before but not to the point of this show is going to really dig some emotional hooks into you and really, really pay off with some of these characters until this episode. Right. Uh, I think that it just kind of, kind of changed my expectations and the tone of everything for me. Um, and like I said, I mean, it was just, I went from liking the series to loving it with Lullaby because I thought it was just so well done and so affecting. Um, and it really, you know, as you guys know, watching seasons three and four, like, it is the linchpin, kind of the whole the whole thing. When you realize who Jones and Hannah are to um, to Cole, so fucking right. love, I fucking love this. Yeah, this I mean, to episode. me, exactly. Like, to me, this is like this is the turning point for what the show's going to become, right? Yeah, like the unbelievably, unbelievably like tight. You know, it's always been tightly written, but like the execution of that jaw dropping moment. Mm-hmm. But it's not just. 
a like jaw dropping like gotcha that you like look back on and ultimately it's empty. Do you know what I mean? Like if I oh no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like if I think back now to like some of the biggest jaw dropping moments, like like uh, uh, Jack and Locke ending that season of Lost looking down the hatch, right? Yeah, I was about to say the hatch. You know what I mean? Like that I remembered at the time being like, oh my God. But now it feels kind of like, well, that was just, you know, that was just a what the fuck moment for the sake of the what the fuck moment. This Mm -hmm. one, because it's grounded so much in character and character relationships and emotions, it just, it, it like, it's like amplified now. Yeah. Even though we know the twist. Right? Like, that's not that easy. That's not an easy thing to pull off to like go back. And we now, we now know the twist that happened at the end. That's not why we go back and watch it. Yeah. And that is, I mean, it's a huge tent pole for the entire season. Oh, uh, I mean, definitely. And that it's couched in a time loop episode. I'm like, it could not get more fucking perfect for me. Right. You might as well just like, you know, drizzle some sex on it because it, it is that good for me. <laughs> All right. So I bought it. Drizzle. I don't know what I'm saying. It was very, it was evocative, Jen. Um, all right. So I wanted to have just a talk about some big picture, big thematic things first before we dig into the actual episode. And the first is keying off of what you said. It's a Groundhog Day episode. Um, and I think all of us come to it with sort of different views of whether we love or usually don't like Groundhog Day episodes. Um, Jen, you love them, right? I fucking love Groundhog Day episodes. Um, I love them. Most of the, and, and it seems like it's a trope that most of the shows that deal with any sort of time wonkiness, they'll usually indulge in. Um, not always to great effect. Like this one was very, very grounded in the emotions of it all rather than the, the machination of it all. Like some, some are just like, okay, let's just replay this day and see how we can do it differently in order to get from point A to point B. I mean, there were certainly, uh, aspects of solving puzzles with this one because it is just one big, huge puzzle posed by time, um, uh, speaking through Jennifer, but, it also resonates so well because it, 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 like, like Beep said, it's the tent pole of the whole series. Um, I think it's probably my favorite time loop episode. Um, and then they did a really, really good one on Legends of Tomorrow called Here I Go Again, which, um, happened like a couple episodes after they introduced a new character, Zeri. And fans weren't really sold on her. We didn't really know what she was about. Um, but this was the episode where everyone fall, fell in love with her because um, it it did all the wacky time travel, time loop shit that they do. And they called it out during the episode. It was like, hey, have you done the fun um, time, uh, time loop montage yet? <laughs> and they actually go ahead and they do the fun time loop montage. But it was also like a way to find out who Zari was and have her connect with each of the characters that she interacted with throughout the episode through her time loops and got to see like who she is, how she forms emotional connections with people. And by the end of the episode, you're like, holy shit, I love Zari. I love how they built up some other character development elements throughout it. So like these time loop episodes give writers such a unique opportunity 
to make characters go through the same shit over and over and over again. And by going through those challenges, show the different aspects of who they are in a very, very short amount of time without having to do a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to moving the plot forward. Um, and I think that they're so unique in how they're able to do that, that I just love the opportunity that, that, that Groundhog Day episodes give. And like, this one blew me away. Here I go again from Legends of Tomorrow blew me away. Like, I think Beep, you like Russian Doll. That whole series blew me away. Like, there's just something so weirdly satisfying about Groundhog Day. Um, this trope that it's just like, fucking give me more. I want more time travel. Uh, series so they can do a Groundhog Day episode. Just just do it. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I, I love two things about it. The first is sort of what you were getting at, Jen, with because, because characters are, I mean, obviously, they're usually trying to get out of the loop. But it's also, f- in some ways, frees them up a little bit more because they know what's coming, right? So they, a lot of times, there's more opportunity for characters to have discussions or like there's time for like self-reflection um mm-hmm. like right like we get like that fireside chat with Cassie and Cole in this episode or Russian doll like the whole exercise of the groundhog day is for the main character to have to like go th- like go through this period of like self-reflection and connecting with different people throughout her day and and also just sort of thinking about part of it is part of it is free will versus fate right like how much how much are forces out of our control impacting our life and how much is dependent mm-hmm. on the choices we make right and the whole construct plays with that because in some ways and and different groundhog day like different groundhog day stories have different rules but all of it is there's things happening that are outside your control and you're trying to find the one thing to get out of it but it's yeah. like you know like it's it's a really interesting, just the structure of the story itself. This series in general is exploring free will versus fate, but this particular like construct of the story allows you to do that. Well, I think it, I think a lot of these time loop episodes go through kind of the same arc where as soon as they realize they're in the time loop, they do everything and anything they can to try to get out of it. And then as the loops go on and they fail, there's a- at least one point where there's a resignation to their fate. Like, okay, I'm not going to do anything because nothing that I do matters. It never changes what happens. I'm going to reset anyway. So fuck it. Um, I don't think that this, I don't think Lullaby does it to the extent that I've seen some other time loop episodes do it on other shows. But they're just like, eh, I'm just going to sit here and eat donuts and be depressed, but it's all going to re reset anyway. Um, and I, I, I just like that you can go through these emotional up and downs without ever kind of leaving a, a, a set or a location. It's very focused on the character rather than moving shit forward all the time at breakneck pace. Right. It also now, conversely, <laughs> Oh, I usually hate groundhog day episodes. Oh, I see them in way too many series. It always, to me, just feels like a filler episode where they, like, needed to give it to the network quickly, so they just had to <laughs> reuse footage. They're like, like, bottle episode time. It's fine. Go ahead and put that five minutes in, like, four times over. No big. Like, halfway done. Um, this didn't do that. Uh, I like that they 
you know, very often. I think it was only the second time where she kind of tried to do it again as far as, like, so that we understood. And, and even Cassie was confused, you know, like, I just talked to you. And it's like, no, you didn't. But then after that, they were doing something different every time. And they just really didn't, you know, there was, what, 30 seconds of replayed footage maybe with, like, the guns going off and taps or whatever. Like, that was it. And so we, it was signaled to us, you know, like, it started over. But yeah, they didn't just continually, like, recycle that footage. And then also, um, like you said about the Legends of Tomorrow episode, I've never watched a single episode of that show. But How dare to- you? I know, Me sorry. neither. Oh, my God. But the point is that this is layered with so much character development, so much of pushing the series forward, so much of tying what's already happened in the series together. Like, it's not just... I, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it was on a deadline to me, which is what they usually Yeah. No, I mean, so, I mean, if we jump in once, so one of the bigger picture, like, thematic things I want to talk about before we get into the actual episode was this idea of fate versus free will. Because, I mean, one of the things that I find fascinating about Groundhog Day is, is this kind of either, it can either be in, like, sort of, intoxicating but also paralyzing or depressing depending on how you come out on it as to whether you think any of the choices that people make in their daily lives like can affect the outcome of something but in this particular one i i was sitting back one of the times watching it to prepare and wondering how whether you, whether or not you think either there's two conclusions. Like, let's put aside for, like, the later, like, later developments in the series and how they make us rethink things. But whether the original sort of dilemma as to how you viewed what happened in this episode is either time is this, like, sentient force that's resetting the day until it gets the outcome it wants, or it's just a glitch in the machine because of the damage that happened in the last episode. And then it's that slingshot sequence. And then when it's fixed, the day stops resetting and they come back, right? Either way, do Cassie and Cole actually have free will? Because so, do you know what I mean? Because no yeah. matter like even so if it's gl- if it's a glitch, nothing that any of them did fucking matters. But even if time, even if but if you accept that time is in charge, they still did a million different things and none of it matters until time, fate God, whatever you want to insert, right? Like they say it during like the fireside conversation, you can call it whatever you want until they do what it wants. They can't get out of the loop. So it's like, is that actually free will? No, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think so. I buy that it's, it's time doing it. I don't buy the machine glitch thing. Same. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, it's like basically that day is just a maze with one X, one right exit out of it that they have to figure out. Now, because they're, they can make any choice that they want, right? They can do anything that they want during that day, and, and we see kind of the results of it. So in that way, they have free will. Of course, you say, well, it doesn't, it doesn't affect the results. The day just resets. Um, I mean, what if that was your reality, and your day just reset over and over and over again, and you didn't know that you could progress to tomorrow? It would become yesterday. Or whatever Jennifer called yeah, it. Mm-hmm. I didn't see either of you guys yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if that was your reality and you're just your day just reset over and over again, but you decide one one of your resets you're going to go eat 
ice cream the whole day and the next day you were going to do nothing but like sleep when the next day you'd be nothing but push-ups to me that would be free will right but you just didn't realize you weren't going anywhere you know you weren't adulthood (laughs) pretty much i mean like if i could just like eat eat ice cream all day like and not go to work tomorrow i'd be the dude in russian doll that just kept ordering all kinds of cake yeah yeah. (laughs) but like so just because your choices are limited down to there's only one right choice to get out of this, this I, I don't even know. Well, like, it's not a trap that they're in. You're doesn't right, mean amazed. that they don't have free will. Yeah. They just have free will. They're just not using it to escape from this cycle. And I, I, I can't say that it's complete fate. And I can't say that it's complete free will. Because is it so bad to be stuck in that particular day? Other than the fact that they're dying each time that um, <laughs> they reset. Uh, <laughs> so Again, I don't know. It's it's, it's a hard adulthood. it's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. If you're like a younger listener, um, sorry guys, this is what happens. If you're in your like early twenties, it doesn't get better. <laughs> it's the it's same just more thing of the every same day shit, and you're slowly dying. That's like, yeah, that. and then you've no, no, no. then you've got like. You give less Oh, don't lie. Don't give- lie, CC. I'm not lying. I'm saying you give less fucks about it. <laughs> well, yeah, but you have more bills and you have things that you have to, like, take care of. Like, I need new gutters. Like, when I was 13, did I ever think I'd need to buy new gutters? Like, what is that? I don't- You know what? I haven't even, even done my taxes yet. They're due, like, next week. What the fuck am I even doing? Why am I talking to you guys? I got taxes. Right, right, oh. right, right. I'm so depressed now. <laughs> oh, God. Um... Well, I mean, what do you guys think? Because I'm like, this is such a hard question, given it's, the context. It is. I mean, I see this particular episode, and I, I'll just preface this with the way that I view it may be, like, completely wrong, because this one's very complex, and I mm-hmm. think there's some things that only the writers could answer as far as, like, the way they intended it. There's also some questions over, like, how much they anticipated from season three and four that obviously reframe it, but they might have not have known it at this point. So, mm-hmm. like, there's some, some uh, moving targets here but in my mind this entire episode is about causality like they couldn't not do this because this already happened and what i mean by that because i know that like cole saved ramsey okay great but if they didn't save hannah like cole doesn't doesn't exist exist. and Mm -hmm. there's like a weird paradox there that to me is on like a different level than just making you know a choice over like someone not dying like because he never would have existed and they've like time's already gone crazy because he exists but then he couldn't exist if this didn't happen and it's like this whole loop that needs to be tied up in and of itself so that we can deal with him later right yeah oh so let's let's jump let's jump to that so about you know the line that struck me going to what you were saying is you know they're in the year 2020 jennifer says 2020 perfect vision and she's like but we don't have perfect vision even about this episode right until we get to the end so we have like if you if you think about it we have Cassie and Cole save Cole's mom so that Cole's mom can will later save him so that they can erase him. <laughs> You're like, wait, so, right? Like, and that ultimately, like, when, we'll get into it, but, like, later on when Jones says the real plague 
is time travel itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Or Cole says time needs us to fix this. All of that is true. They just haven't arrived at the at the actual solution yet. Right? Like those lines hit me like a ton of bricks now in a way that they didn't. Now that we know like they're right. They just don't know like the answer yet, you know? Well, it's just it's one of those things where like this is the moment, right? Like this is the moment where everything happens for Jones and basically the show is around because of what happened to Hannah and what Jones perceived to have happened to Hannah. And I'm like, like Jones kicks everything into motion. Like all the good stuff and the bad stuff is the result of of losing Hannah. And then she creates time travel, Mm -hmm. but, but time also knows that the good stuff and the bad stuff has to happen in order for like the ultimate good quote unquote can succeed. So it's like, there's like, it is all about causality, as as Beep said. It's, yeah, it's like time or- knows what needs to happen, and it knows a lot of bad stuff needs to happen in order for a lot of good stuff to happen as well. And it's well, kind of like also keeping Cole like on his path because if you think about it, like if you think about there being a timeline where the present is the end of it and there's mm-hmm. nothing like in the future then you could talk about you know the erasure doing whatever but like the way that time in a sense sees its own like linear self like this is the way you get to the moment that we're going to erase right it's just another step in the process because like 2043 already exists and like 20 you know 2163 already exists so it's like you know i think time is seeing it from a you know 35,000 foot view right i mean the question that makes my brain hurt is why, why if, I mean, it's like the obvious one. And I know that the answer is obvious back, but there's certain days that I can't answer it when you're sitting here <laughs> and you're like, why, <laughs> why is it if Jones, if Jones never invented time travel, then how did Cole ever go back to those entry dates in the first place that need to be erased? Do you know what I mean? Um, it's a bad day for me not to be able to articulate the answer to that. <laughs> But so that's that's but the part. She, the issue, though, is that she did create it. And I actually had a question kind of here because we talked about it the other day, Cece. And w- what version of this is the it's the bootstrap paradox? Like you can't use time travel to destroy time travel. They would have if there weren't time travel, neither Cassie nor Cole would have a reason to go kill Jones because they never would have gotten to that point in the timeline. To be able to do, yeah, Cassie Got would be it. dead. But right. the, but the thing Cassie's is, I, I feel twenty seventeen or twelve or wherever those numbers keep moving. <laughs> I feel like there's certain Im- immutable immutable. Am I saying that word correctly? Yeah. Derp. Um, I think there's certain some unchangeable things. There we I go. Agree with that about the timeline and the people that exist within it and the actions that they take that cannot ever be changed and will not ever be changed, regardless if you change the circumstances around them um, or you change the perception of people's uh, circumstances. Like I think Jones, there isn't a timeline or a circumstance in which Jones doesn't um, uh, invent time travel because she has to, that is, that is her destiny. That's like, what she has to do that is her, her like her one her one um most important thing in the whole entire world and in time um so i don't think that that was ever something that 
that time would allow to not happen because it has to. And it, it does all the time and every time. But all of that is, so that, I mean, that brings back though to one of the central questions this episode is asking, which is something that then the show will just continue, the, the question will loom larger and larger all the way to the end. But it's kind, it's this faith versus reason. It's the, it's, it's sort of the same. It kind of underlies ultimately sometimes when we're talking about the ultimate end of the series, whether you believe they're in the red forest. And that's why they see these. We see these visions of these of the timeline reset and these characters being happy. Um, or you believe that that they fixed it and that time rewarded them, right? Mm-hmm. Almost, almost like you're reading like a Greek myth and the gods reward the hero at the end, right? Like so this episode kind of really brings it up for the first time with Cole's not only, you know, it's the fireside chat where Cole tells the story about about the getting shot up and the blanks. And do you believe, do you believe the kind of rational explanation that it, it was the green boxes? Or do you believe that kind of what he said he needed to, to get through hard times that it wasn't his day to die, right? Like he has another purpose. So do you, like, you can watch this episode and go through the entire series and say it was a glitch in the machine. And at the end, what we're seeing isn't real because it, when Jennifer, like, why is Jennifer still a primary? Why does time still need people to think? Do why why would it be okay for Cole to exist then and not now? Right? Like all I'm not saying that that's like my conclusion, but mm-hmm. but there's two different ways to read this episode, and that's a through line that goes all the way to like what you think ultimately happened at the end of the series. Yeah, and I think there's actually like three possible conclusions, right? Like you can say it was just a glitch in the time machine in this episode, and we're in the red forest at the end. Mm-hmm. I think you can say time is a sentient force, but it loses because Cassie chooses the red forest. Or again, time is the sentient force and and they ultimately do what Cole says. They are able to fix it and then they are rewarded in the end. And I think those are sort of, I was trying to like think, what are sort of the three choose your own adventures with the lullaby and the end? <laughs> I think, does that cover it? Are those the three options? Well, see, to me, like, I don't understand how any of it works if it's a glitch in the machine that resets the day and that's finally fixed. Like, how does Hannah? That's just an accident. That's just an accident, right? It just happened to be that the last time that they fixed the last day, the last version of the day they went through happened to be the one where they saved Hannah and hid her. I mean, I think it's a leap. That doesn't make sense because Hannah always had to be saved. Yeah, Hannah always had to be saved. Had to. And then, and then what Jennifer says through it all doesn't make any sense if it's just a glitch, because then why is time giving any sort of direction to anybody? Because I feel like time is speaking through Jennifer and giving Cole the clues that he needs to kind of solve the whole mystery of how to change time or change the outcome without changing the outcome. I think um, there are anchor points. It's kind of like what you were in, like, yeah, sure, there's some, you know, it, you always have free will, great. But there's certain things you're just not gonna change. I think that there are anchor points in and of the things, like, especially because of the fact that Cole exists, there's just certain things that have yeah. to happen. It just kind of pins reality in place. Otherwise, everything would be just, just become untethered in chaos. Right. Like the red flag. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the other, so the other, um, sort of big, I think this is the last one, the other big thematic, 
or the other theme that really jumped out at me now that we've gotten to the end of the series that I increases for me on rewatch as opposed to the first time that I watched it are these these two sort of points of view that are presented through Cole and through Cassie with Cole's question to Jones and her answer is a moment of happiness worth a lifetime of basically anything else. And Cassie's, you know, and at the end of the episode, his sort of like, well, let's just seize the now. And Cassie's, Mm -hmm. it's the losing that haunts us. And I mean, I think that line, it's the losing that haunts us, to me is, is basically like the best one line summary of what is motivating so many people that want the red forest. But it, but it's, yeah, but it's also the one, it's one of the, the clues that Cassie could possibly have chosen the red forest. Absolutely. And then, but, but also though, it's like, it's, it, it's, um, it's also what Joan says too, though. She's like, yeah, a moment of happiness is, is worth a lifetime of anything else. Note anything else is probably happiness and sadness and everything in between. Mm-hmm. So Jones herself is even advocating for the idea that the Red Forest seems to put forth, that you get to live your one moment of happiness. Well, right? I mean, I think- I so disagree that, with that. No, well, yeah, so- <gasps> No, 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 so that's- What? Well, I, no. Am I reading it incorrectly? I well, mean, because I'm not, I you know, maybe I'm just not understanding it. Well, I think, I think that there's two- So- I think there's two ways. So I think there's how it was originally, like, it can mean two different things. And it actually goes all the way through, I think, to the finale. So a moment of happiness, even if it, like, all, like, that's all human connection ultimately ends in loss, right? We all die. Mm -hmm. So it is setting up sort of two central things about the human experience. What gives Jones hope in this episode goes back to like what her father said in paradox, you know, it's the heart that sustains us. And so it's, it's bringing Hannah back. It's, it's all of that suffering for all of those years that she thought that she was gone. When Jones gave that answer to Cole, like, yes, right. Like all of that was worth it because that, that particular moment. Now, whether you would then basically annihilate everything to just live in that single moment is actually taking what they say in this episode and like the red forest argument like turns it on its head, right? Because it's like, would you give up everything as opposed to would you live with everything if you could have that moment? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I mean, I do. And I, I know that it kind of flips later, but especially in this context, I think it's a distortion. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think the red forest is a distortion, right? <coughs> like for Cole at the end... He's saying, <clears throat> you go for it. Like, you don't hold back and not mm-hmm. connect with people emotionally because you're worried about loss or being hurt or losing, right? Or losing people. You go for it because it's worth all of that pain, which is different from saying, I'm, I, I am going to manage the risk and get rid of everything to live in that one particular moment. Yeah. And I think it's also what Jennifer says in, uh, is it five or two or five or six? I'm sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head. But when she says, you know, death is everything. It's what right. makes us human. I mean, that's what they're talking about is trading mm-hmm. that, you know, it's like better to have loved than lost than to have loved at all. Right, of right. What it's, what, getting at. it's what Cole's saying at the end of the episode. I would rather have that moment than die not having it. Right. And it, it right. And so there's just a lot of really interesting previewing 
of, yeah. of Cassie's future arc and sort of the bigger themes that they're going to be playing with that go on in this episode that I wasn't as conscious of when I watched it before the series ended, if that makes sense. I, I, I think the distortion only exists for Cassie. I think throughout, like, everyone else yes. is very, very clear on, on what this question would mean to them and the way that they... I, I guess, I don't know, I guess I see the question and answer, like, a little bit more simply than you guys, or, like, a different read on it, because mm-hmm. I think the moment of happiness, the word moment means this isolated, you know, section of, of time that, to me, represents what the Red Forest is. Am, am I incorrect in, in thinking that it's it's kind of the same? I think you're thinking of one side of it. Right. And what side what side am I thinking of? Um or what am I missing? I guess that's that's I mean, a better question. I think you're specifically making it about what they're referring to as the per- versus just like, you know, what they're saying to Jones and what he's literally saying to her right now is he's asking her it, when it boils down to it, are you okay to live the next like 20 something years of your life being fucking miserable? For me to then tell you, like, your daughter's... It's like the mirror image of us, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... All right, I see, I see what I... What, see, I see what I'm... actual I'm, life. <laughs> so that's a whole different... Moment of happiness is worth a lifetime of anything. I guess I'm seeing it incorrectly in that a moment of happiness it, versus juxtaposed to a lifetime of anything else versus a moment of happiness connected to a lifetime of everything else. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very direct contrast. Okay. Right. Okay. I mean, I just think it's like this fascinating point in Cassie's arc because she is going to shut down emotions, shut down her opening herself up to love, to hope, and choose a path of revenge, right? And it's because she's, because of what she says, it's the losing that haunts us. She's scared of loss. And pain and how that makes her feel. And she's going to, it's like she knows something inside of herself, right? That it's scaring her. Well, I, I, she's I think like though. preemptively losing though. Because she well, like, right, won't that's have what Cole, the experience. Well, but, right. But that's she what saw, Cole says. Yeah. She, saw, she saw the consequences though of kind of putting her faith or, or wanting something that um, the witness seemed to be offering her. And what that did to other people, what that did to Sam and to Ramsey, there were there were consequences to her curiosity and her desire. So she had to shut that down, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But she's also was slightly seduced already when the witness was talking to her about would wouldn't it sound great if there was a place where you never had to leave love? Yeah, I mean she yeah. she gave him an audience. She she considered it. So and that opening l- let him in to to do what he needed to do to cause more suffering. Um and I think that's I think that that vulnerability was what she wanted to shut down because she saw how it affected other people out of her control. And t- like Cassie to me is somebody who I think the red forest and the tea scares her a lot being out of control mm-hmm. scares her. I I think she's very self-possessed. I think she's a woman of 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 medicine and science. And that's always been kind of her, um, her, her touchstone in her life. And then she kind of loses a lot of that throughout the whole series. I mean, she loses a shit ton of stuff. Um, and when she wants something, it seems like she's punished for it. Uh, and when she finally does get what she wants, 
she loses it mm-hmm. with um with her son with with Cole at times with her found family when it's they have to protect uh Ethan uh against you know team time so it's just like Cassie is a really interesting character if you spend a lot of time kind of diving into her motivations and how she kind of has to segment things off in her life in order to protect the people that she cares about most. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's like if you step back, they actually, through Cassie's series-long arc, get us the closest that we possibly could to understanding what would possibly motivate our antagonists for what they want to do. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. journey of loss and seeing that journey of loss from her point of view, it it's the closest we can come to understanding why anyone would think that the Red Forest is a good thing. I have a question that might be kind of random. It, assuming, well, not even, when it comes to the end when Cassie has her choice, whether she stops time, doesn't let the Red Forest take over, do you think that her decision lies more based on the fact that she's going to lose him or the fact that she theoretically will not remember? Um, hmm. I think lose him. Lose him. I mean, just the way that she phrases it when they're in the room at the end. She's like, I just sold 7 billion. Um, But I mean, it makes it even worse. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Or I guess you could argue like in the moment you're like, that's even worse. But I don't know. Like, well, because Cole says that. Right. It's worse than death. You know, the thing to never have existed. Yeah. I mean, then you've got like, it's almost like it, but would it be, it's like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, right? But what if you could erase that loss? <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, um, that's kind of a sidetrack. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, I mean, and then the final thing, um, and we'll like go through this as we're, but I mean, you have when Megan was on, when we did Paradox, we were talking about how Paradox, Lullaby, part, partly Witness, the season three finale, and One Minute More are like these four episodes that are like a mi- the mini story of the Jones plus Cassie family saving each other in these crazy brain breaking right? Like the last time this Jones that we see in this episode in 2020 was with Cassie and Cole was in the episode Paradox where she was pregnant with Hannah and decided <laughs> to keep the baby. The next time she sees Cassie and Cole is the day that that child is dying. And they Yeah, and and you know? and, and and most of the times when the first time she sees them again, they've got a gun pointed at her face. Yeah. And then <laughs> they It's crazy. Right? And then well, and then Cassie and Cole are going to save Hannah, and then in one minute more, Hannah's the one who's going to save Cole. It, like it's like this cycle you know and then you throw in witness when they're actually the only time that the entire extended family from jones (laughs) through ethan are in one house and jones is gonna fucking almost kill ethan right like it's just this crazy cycle of like like birth and death and resurrection and it goes around and around and around just within this one family in this crazy fucked up right like cole's 11 and his mom is four like what the fuck <laughs> and ultimately it's actually Ethan who saves Cole through at the variant. Right. Well, and Ethan also saves all of them. Sure. <laughs> right? He's going to come back and save Jones and all of them, right? So it's just this like brain-breaking cycle of if you even like just 
like just the fact that like you know when Cole's shooting it's like it's his grandmother <laughs> but like even when you put all of that like it's this crazy cycle of everybody saving everybody out of order and it's insane <laughs> so do you guys have any other big picture thematic brain like stuff before we dive in we haven't even dived into the episode yet. No, let's I go know. to 2020. Let's go to 2020. Um, so we open up with Jones singing Brahms lullaby in German. I made the mistake <laughs> of... <laughs> before this podcast... I you mean just put- doing your standard episode prep? <laughs> no, I will tell you, I did. I made two terrible mistakes, and it will explain like why I'm gonna cry right now. <laughs> oh God! Is because I just when I I just put my four year old to sleep and had to sing her a lullaby, and I was like, oh my God, why? And the first time that I rewatched the episode, and and I was working on the outline for it, I was on the plane, and she was like, her little head was asleep in my lap. And I was like, why did I do this to myself? I have a four-year-old daughter, like, who I sing a song to every night. It is brutal. That scene (laughs) is brutal. And what I think is so brutal about it is it is so simple. It is so universal. It is something that whether you are a child and you can remember your mother singing to you or whether you're a mother, it's one of the first things that you do with your children, right? Like a baby. Before you can have a conversation with your baby, you sing to them and they know the sound of your voice. Even if you're like me and you're a terrible singer, they still apparently like the sound of your voice, right? Like, So there's something about the way they chose it. It is so haunting, be- and I think it's just because it is so simple. It's a it's a mother sitting next to her child, holding her child's hand, and singing her a song. And there isn't anything that is more universal, I think, of like a mother and a young child that you get at than that. Um, it just fucking breaks me every time I watch it. Um, and you know, it also for the audience. You know, whether you have those parent feels or you remember like your your father or mother singing, there's so many little like details that are that we have heard about since season one, right? The Hannah blanket is there. We heard Colonel Foster when when Jones slapped him saying, you're still in that room holding her dead little hand, right? And all of these clues and now all of it, bam, is coming together just to kick off the episode. And it's like this this event that we've heard about since season one. Do any of you, can you, like, I can't get through this scene without bawling. <laughs> is it just my mom feels? <laughs> like, I, I think I think it's your mom feels because, you know, uh-huh. I, well, okay, okay. I did, as soon as this, this whole episode started, so I rewatched like at, at 5 p.m. today. Um, I, I, I got the, I got the, like the, the stinging of, of tears in my eyes. I'm like, oh, it's starting already. God damn it. Um, I don't know if I was like kind of projecting knowing what was going to, what was going to come down the pike, uh, with the ending, but it was just like, oh, Joan's feels are coming. It's also so we've never seen her be a mother and yet. She's so weird at it, too, later on. later on, later on. But, like, we've heard this is, you know, in some ways this episode is, like, the origin story for the series, right? Yeah. This is what invented time travel. good way to think about it. And so we have heard about her love for her daughter. We've seen 
clues like the blanket we know it's what motivated her but we've and, and we were with her in 2015 or whatever when she was first learning she was pregnant but we've never actually seen her as a mother and they open this episode having her do something that we've never seen jones that way well it did uh, not help that you looked up the words because they're mortifying i know so <laughs> <laughs> So Brahms lullaby, um, you know, the tune is probably it's like freaking every baby mobile mobile like it is one of the most classic tunes, even if you don't necessarily know the words um, by um, Johann Brahms written in 1860. And the words, at least for the first verse, come from a collection of German folk poems called Das Neben Wunderhorn, which is the boy's magic horn. So the words are, good evening, good night, with roses covered, with cloves adorned, slip under the covers, tomorrow morning, if God wills, you will wake once again. What the fuck, guys? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you ever like just, (sighs) that's what she, those are the words that they have Jones singing. It, it always amazes me that, like, fairy tales and lullabies and all that shit are always just so fucking scary mm-hmm. and just so dark. Like, yeah, well, well, like, yeah. Ring Around the Rosie, Pocket Full Posey. Right, right. Yeah. But that's because- Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. I mean, that's like, and we fucking used to sing that as kids and had no idea what we were saying. No, but it's because- It rhymes. But no, but it's also because- <laughs> That's why. No, but I mean, those words are from a time when people, like, the reality was that people lose many, many, you know. Yes, yes, that was the reality. That doesn't make it cute. No. It doesn't make it cute at all. Right, like, my children have been falling asleep, like, as babies, and the words of the song were, God willing, you'll wake up again. Like, fuck, I had no idea that was what was like. (laughs) (laughs) But what what I love about it is... I'm sure, you know, knowing these writers, I'm sure it was on purpose <laughs> because, I, I mean, obviously the first meaning, like the first level kind of under of digging into it is this is a, a mother sitting at the deathbed of her daughter, hoping that she's going to, that when she closes her eyes, she's going to open them up again and not die. Right. But it also, if you were to replace God with time, it is the story of this episode. Because at the end of this episode, Hannah, like, because time wills it, Hannah will, quote unquote, wake up again at the end of the episode to Joan. Mm-hmm. So it's just so perfect. Um, and, uh, so good. <laughs> um, walk it you, off, see. Just no. Walk it off. Guys, I have a four-year-old little girl. <laughs> this know. opening scene fucks me up. Um, all right. So... We have, and by I like three kids, so I feel like I've always had a four-year-old kid watching Lullaby. (laughs) 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 Because of their ages apart. All right, so let's go to 2044 before the Groundhog Day actually starts. Um, We've got the opening montage as Jones reads Hamlet. As she's, we're going to jump into the words from Hamlet in a second, but as she's reading it, Jones is sitting there basically waiting to die (laughs) right she's waiting for this to happen and all of the current reality will be erased and she will have died in 2020 on the day that hannah died 
Cassie is like ne- at Cole's bedside. Cole is still unconscious. She's visibly upset, which I had never really focused on before. Um, but she thinks she's never going to see him again. And he'll be an 11 year old boy and she will be dead at the And Ramsey is on his own backpacking in the red storms. And then we kind of forget about him and we're not going to see him again until like the very end of the episode. I think that's my favorite part of, uh, of the Ramsey storyline. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Joe, you're throwing like a mean grenade. Oh, I, at least my least favorite character of the series. I know he's necessary, but he's also um, my kind of least favorite archetype type character um, when he gets into angry hurt boy mode. <laughs> he did lose his son. But- he did yeah. lose his son, right? It's the same as Jones. He just lost his son. Uh, <laughs> we I guess you have. I guess you have a point. I guess you have a point. Uh, <laughs> so Hamlet. So Hamlet. We've had so many Ramsey debates. I'm sorry. I'm just had so. <laughs> All right. So Jones. What Jones says before she gets into the actual monologue is, what are one's last words if they will never be? I leave now not with my own, but those words that will exist beyond me. And I love it because it calls back to, like, this episode is basically the Project Spearhead prequel. And her referring, using Shakespeare and and talking about how Shakespeare is this literature that will live beyond all of them is what she talked about with Foster in the episode right before she killed him, mm-hmm. where they were quoting, I forget which sonnet. Um, so we have the, what she reads are, it is the like most famous, probably lines that we anybody knows for Shakespeare. It's Hamlet, act three, scene one. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing end them, to die... To sleep, no more, and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. To die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. But that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. Well done. Well, little known fact, I wanted to be a Shakespeare scholar before I um, went out into the world and got a different career. It was all, it was all leading up to this. Uh, obviously, this is, this is my big moment. <laughs> I quit my job and just become a Shakespeare scholar again. Oh man! Now I love Shakespeare. I love. Oh my god! I love Shakespeare so much. Um, His word, like it's just musical to me. Um, I know we're all like frustrated English majors, but at least we can talk about it on podcasts. Um, Okay, so obviously this speech is when Hamlet is contemplating whether it's actually braver to say "fuck all of the pain that comes with life." And commit suicide. And that's what, I mean, which is actually interesting in light of what we were talking about before with it's the losing that haunts us, right? Um, And just kind of like facing something, suffering is part of the condition. But also, you know, Jones and Cassie have basically come together for this mission that is going to erase everyone's existence, but will result in both of their deaths. So um, I think it's interesting you know, it's obviously total, like, total luck, but I love how it, even this quote that they chose refers to traveler, right? Like, and we mm-hmm. have time travelers. So we actually phoned a friend and we asked <laughs> Professor. <laughs> 
We phoned a friend ahead of time. Um, so we asked Professor Aaron, who's an English professor um, at a university, to kind of weigh in on what she thought. And so I'm just going to read what she said. Um, and I know some um, – I didn't get into the substance, but I know some listeners did some research on Hamlet. So I think we'll have more of this, um, more on this in the mini pod. But this is what Aaron had to say. The most interesting thing about that moment is the way the show's context completely recasts the speech. Both in terms of the twist on suicide, give, it gives a whole new meaning to taking arms against a sea of trouble and by opposing them, and especially the line about time. And she's referring to who would bear the whips and scorns of time, thy oppressor's wrong. Aaron says, in the original speech, of course, Hamlet is playing with the justifications for suicide by basically being like, when life throws its bullshit at you, maybe it's, <laughs> I love Professor Aaron, maybe it's manlier to oppose it by killing yourself. But in 12 Monkeys, the enemy actually is time itself. The whips and scorns of time aren't metaphors anymore. And by opposing end them in this case, isn't just suicide to escape personal suffering. Plus, of course, Hamlet never manages to quote unquote, do anything, including kill himself, at least not until the final act. Whereas Jones has already made the choice, already acted. So in a way, the whole monologue is turned on its head. Um, so that's what Aaron had to say about it. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? That's, that's really smart by Professor Aaron. <laughs> She's way smarter than me in that, in that arena. Yeah. <laughs> so what, it is turning all of its head. What I love is at the end of the episode, when Jones's hope is restored, she will call back to this monologue by saying the undiscovered country no longer beckons her. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. I think it's interesting because she goes through she goes through like a a cycle of kind of resignation to I guess her fate that she's already decided for herself again that the f word fate um and and when they come back and explain to her what had happened she's so cynical mm-hmm. um and dismissive calling you know Jennifer um, causality's fool and just not believing them their story of what had happened. I mean, I just think it's like such an interesting arc for her throughout this whole entire episode, like the, the stuff that's outside of the loops and then the stuff that happens inside of the loop. I just kind of love everything that Jones has to go through mm-hmm. in this episode. It's a fucking lifetime's worth of suffering and resignation and happiness all at once. Yeah. I mean, there's two things about that. I mean, Part of it is obviously like right. She's a scientist. She struggled with with this idea of time when she was talking to Jennifer and drank a few episodes ago. But also, if you were in the frame of mind to send Cassie to go do this, the last thing that you want to hear is that time needs you to fucking save the day. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Like you're like I just said. Fuck it. What do you mean time needs me to save it? Yeah. Like, right? So I think that there's a lot of reasons for that cynicism. And it's such a great debate, especially like we'll get to it at the end, but it's such a great debate, especially now that we know what they actually need to do. <laughs> and right? Like, so um anyway, okay. So if you guys didn't have anything else about Hamlet, um, we will jump in really quickly. I love that Deacon and Cole are now like Deacon is going to Cole because he is scared for Cassie and they have that in common and we're seeing them work together for really like the first time the two of them working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's one of those little moments that kind of it, it it's quick 
when it happens. But looking back on everything, I mean, it really resonates that they both care very deeply for Cassie, especially with Deacon. I have such a soft spot for Deacon. Yeah, and he- My baby Deacon. And it's so interesting because, you know, obviously his reality is better now that he's inside of the bunker um, Mm -hmm. rather than being out having to like you know he's he's found a shelter for the west seven like a a more like protective home for them but he he is fucking seething with anger at jones that she is going to erase everything and i think part of it obviously has to do with cassie and part of it also is he's bought into the mission that they're going to save the future and she just fucking unilaterally decided no you know like he and Cole are so mad in this scene, but Deacon in particular. And I just think it's it's really interesting. Like, the Scav King is starting to care about stuff, guys. <laughs> He's really mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you say there, though, about the frustration of Joan unilaterally you know, going against everything and making sure. Because is that not the exact same that Cassie... Yes. And, and Jones and Jones unilaterally acts again to alter the code. Right. Possibly undermining all of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's my Jones. (laughs) Making decisions on her own. Such a Gen Xer. (laughs) Wait, is she Gen X or is she No, she's not Gen X. It's just one of the traits of my fantastic generation. God damn it. I was hoping we could claim Jones. Um, No. I would love to. She embodies our spirit, though. Individuality. There's like a sliver of a generation, though, that they call what? Zennials. And it has to do with whether or not you were raised with the interface. That's what I am, a Zennial. Yeah, Yeah, it's 77 to 83. Yeah. Same. Um, We are both cynical and full of hope. (laughs) I think that's the definition. (laughs) Aren't you you guys special? (laughs) All right. So I love that. Joan says so I love it because this goes back to like remember we were watching the pilot and we were like oh my god there's all these lines that make you want to like scream (laughs) and there's Joan says there was another plague one that destroyed time itself time travel and you're like that's true (laughs) (laughs) and then she turns to Cole and says the answer Mr. Cole has been in front of us the entire time ah because it's fucking Cole who's the gin (laughs) has to be deleted it's so like ah it just makes me want to scream into a pillow (laughs) you gotta wonder if, if some of this just was a happy accident in the writing back then or if it was all planned from the very beginning well, to think, have these through lines. Right. But I think they knew that the answer was Cole always had to be erased, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I think, though. They always knew that Cole was the problem. Uh, yeah. But to have that foresight just to kind of write these little clues and these little winks to the audience at the very beginning is, is you have to be very, pre, you know, self-possessed to... to know that you want to do that, that you want to be kind of that winky and that kind of witty. And I just, uh, that the thoroughness of the writing is just fucking amazing. Right. Like, like I, maybe, maybe it was like an inside joke to them at the time because we mm-hmm. wouldn't get it. We're not going to get it for four seasons. <laughs> but yeah. 
Um, I thought it was cool how it always comes back to the group, though, because this reminded me, her saying, you know, there's another plague, one that destroyed time itself. It just reminded me of Cassie's actual message saying, you know, we're the true architects of the plague, which, mm-hmm. like, when yeah. you look at team time, like, it's one way or another. You guys are the ones that fucked everything up. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know... It's but also- you gotta fuck everything up in order to save the day, right? Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> They're la- heroes of their own making. They're like those uh, serial arsonists who set fires <laughs> just to put them out. <laughs> they don't know, but they don't I know did they good. set on fire. <laughs> I did good, right? <laughs> um, I love, I love the character. I love sort of the character moment where when Jones is like, "I've exhausted hope." Cole says repeatedly in this episode that he has not given up hope. And I think that's, you know, the only failure is giving up is something that he got from, you know, we know his father and who it all really came from. But it's like such a consistent character trait. And I freaking love the moment when she's like, there's nothing you can do about it. And Deacon just hands him the gun, throws him the gun and Cole's like, start it up. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> Deacon and Cole, like, it's like wordless. Like, oh, yeah, there's nothing we can do about it. Like, oh, it's so great. All right, so the way I've structured our Groundhog Day discussion, if it's cool with you guys, is we actually watch, by my count, seven? Yes. Seven rounds of Groundhog Day. We actually watch seven, but there's more than seven. Correct, right, because they, Mm -hmm. yes. They try a couple to we'll find out. Yeah, there's yeah, there's some experimentation at the end that we never see that's narrated, right. which I didn't realize. Um, you know, after reading through your seven rounds and then going, oh, they even did more. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much pain they were in by the time they got to the end I and know. actually succeeded. I know, and you know what? You know, there there's some really funny um, like bloopers of them having to pretend that they're vomiting like over and over, <laughs> really <laughs> over and over again. And also, I now can't watch the like firing squad scene because of the bloopers from it, <laughs> like where they're laughing. But um, I like, I love just going back to like, for, like I love the rules that writers come up with with Groundhog Day episodes, right? Like. Sometimes in Groundhog Day episodes, people's wounds are healed. And like some, uh, are there any where there's sometimes they're not? Um, no. So at the end of, um, the loop in Legends of Tomorrow, the, uh, the, the ship blows up. So everybody dies. Okay. But, but then, it's reset. But here, like, and everybody's alive. Like here, like Cassie's gun. Cassie's killed. Yeah, Once. her gunshot wound, but but then she's not shot anymore. But they're physically deteriorating. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's as if none of it happened. They just remember it. Right, but except physically the time travel aspect, going back to like what Cole says, the last time I felt like this. It's when he was dying. Yeah, he's referring to Paradox, which by mm-hmm. the way is the last time he was Jones. Um, that... The, like the rules are like that there's a physical cost to them and it's just funny like i was thinking like russian doll you have like everything's fine with the humans but then like the fruit starts decaying right like mm-hmm. it's just fun like what are the rules they set up so we have a couple i like to think of them like as anchors that let us know that the days reset and they're really like they use them elegantly and sparingly as the episode goes on. Um, so we have the firing of the guns. 
that are it's the gun salute to the officers that have died from the plague. We have the bur- the crows flying away from the tree. Um, we have the, the Cassie walking to the checkpoint and the soldier with the fallen papers. And we have the conversation with Foster, right? The, and mm-hmm. and the conversation at the checkpoint with um, the female um, army officer who I think is played that she's played by Shantretta's wife, right? Tiffany Shepestretta. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. The one who's like, how'd you get around? How'd you come up from Baltimore? Oh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So I know, Jen, you had a point. Like, it is really like the burden for Cassie. Yeah. That she has accepted that she has said that she's going to do this. Well, this is this is the moment like it all begins, right? Like imagine being at the moment where the the whole evolution of Jones starts basically, where time travel begins is in this moment. Um and I I, I guess knowing like the relationship up until this point that you know, they've seen each other in the past, they've they've worked together in the future. Imagine Cassie has to go back into the past and basically kill her friend. And the the strength of conviction and single-mindedness it takes to carry on that mission, knowing knowing what's going to happen and how hard it is for both her and and Jones. Like, these are two strong-ass women who have made this decision and are complicit in, in this decision, knowing what it means to basically end somebody's life. Um... Even if the, even it means that they'll live on in another timeline, even if it means this will do some good, because Jones thinks she's she's unleashed another plague in the world with with time travel. So I'm like, this this is the moment. Like this is the this is this is the pivotal moment. And knowing everything that Cassie has to do, like you see it in her face the first time she has to pull the trigger. Like she's not enjoying this one bit but she knows she has to do it i'm like that's some fucking hard strong ass women right there guys and you know what i think is so interesting the character detail that cassie in the moment never looks away but, yeah but cole, Just, yeah but cole, yeah cole does later cole on i noticed does, that right and and part of it is them and part of it is also the nature of the relationships with jones right like so but yeah think about season one though cassie would have looked season one cassie would have looked away and season one cole wouldn't have right mm-hmm. good point yeah but right not only their character change but also like cole loves jones that's mm-hmm. not quite the really jones and jones and cassie are more like colleagues you know? Yeah. At yeah. this point, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> murder colleagues. Murder colleagues. Murder colleagues. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that get, that I sometimes I lose sight of is, and it comes back when we get to the fireside chat scene. But by doing this, Cassie is also resigning is resigned to dying at the DC. You know, so this isn't just ending. This isn't just ending Jones's life. Like, yeah. No, this means the plague happened. Yeah, and she does. So, yeah. But they're saving time. Right. It's it's both a bad bad decisions uh, they have to make a bad decision in order to avoid the worst possible outcome. Right. They're killing themselves to save time and and basically preserve a reality where the plague has killed 7 billion. Kind and of, it's it's pretty but, shitty, guys. But but it's the reality Yeah, but the thing is like the reality we know that the plague is evolving. So the plague could eventually wipe out everybody. 
So there's a small hope that humanity may exist at some point, but only if they get super lucky. So, so at the end, you're like... They're saving the universe, but not humanity. It's kind of like what they're they're calling it a day. <laughs> and you know what? That's a fine trade-off, I think. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have no idea what's out, out in the universe right. besides us. We're just little... We're just little ants in the grand scheme of things. Not even. Little little did they know, really, it just meant hanging out in their most perfect day. (laughs) 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 All right. So we had said, so basically, I freaking love Xander Berkeley, who plays, he's Lieutenant Foster in this episode, because this is a Project Spearhead prequel. Um, And I love the kind of, it's not It's a pretty serious episode, but I find all of the times that he has to go through this conversation and Cassie starts cutting him off pretty fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, he's so serious, but you're like, dude, you don't even get the punchline. Right? Like, he's got to be, like, the straight man to it. Um, But it's interesting. There's a lot of, like, timeline, like, he refers to – originally he is – suspicious of Cassie because he says marauders of all women and it's referring uh, it's referring to the daughters and it should have been our clue that Jennifer is in the jail Mm -hmm. um but it's also great because like the next episode is all about Jennifer's first group of marauding women um with the hyenas um and it also like even though Cassie knows knows the day that she's going to it also must just be such a mind fuck to walk in on this day that she's always heard about that like Hannah died and have to Mm -hmm. walk into something that is so intensely personal, right? With Jones like grieving at her daughter's like, it's just, ugh. what Cassie has to do is just, ugh. so, all right. So she shoots her. Um, (laughs) So she shoots her. Moving on. So, I mean, what I think is interesting is like, as we were talking about, like when Jones turns around and sees her, the last time they were together, Jones had confided in Cassie that she was pregnant with Hannah. And like for Jones, that's the last time she saw Cassie was the day that she decided to have Hannah. Yeah. So it's just crazy. So she shoots her and we have our first reset, which takes us to round two, which is Cole and Cassie both in the field with the gunshots and the crows. Um, and I love like I love their kind of bickering back and forth. <laughs> They are, they are, they are very funny. It's really funny. And it's so in, like, it's such a through line. Like, the stuff that they're arguing about is, like, what they're arguing about, like, all season, right? Like, we gotta kill her. Cole, no, let's not kill someone. No, I gotta do it on my own. Wait, what if we work together? (laughs) (laughs) And I love it because he's, like, he's just fucking traveled and he doesn't know what's going on. And she's like, I don't know. Like, I'm gonna go fucking do it again. And he's like, "Uh, okay. And he has to, like, follow her in. Again, Um, there's a a lot of, like, problems. There's a lot of switches between... They're, they're season one, season two characters as far, far as like, okay, who is now the problem solver? Mm-hmm. Who takes on that role to kind of like slow things down, put the gun away, let's think our way through this. And I I, I love kind of the, the way it just kind of turns these characters on their head. Because mm-hmm. the urgency that they feel and they, their different perspective on their situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so she they get to the checkpoint um, again. And Cassie's like so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> She's 
told you. I came up from Baltimore. Um, well, she doesn't. Uh, she, she doesn't realize that she's in a time loop yet. Well, she yeah. She he's trying in to round try. two. Right, right, right. So she doesn't believe him. Basically, exactly. Um, so <laughs> Which I think it's so funny, and it's like the slow realization that oh, Cole was fucking right. I'm in a time loop. <laughs> I'm going to show you I killed Jones. Come on. (laughs) I feel like so many of these resets are Cole trying to be like, wait, can we figure it out now? And Cassie would be like, no, I'm going to fucking do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we get a lot of kind of like when they get passed through the checkpoint and they're talking to the female officer again, um, we get a lot of kind of cool, there's a lot of like cool nuggets buried into that. So the first is the West seven zone is the quarantine zone. Cause Deacon hasn't taken it over yet. And so it's like reminding us where that name for that post-apocalyptic gang even came from. <laughs> it was from like quarantine zone. Um, the alias that Cole gives is Morris Morrison, <laughs> which <laughs> is the worst alias I've ever heard. If you were hoping not to raise suspicion, it's it's worse than Ron Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not that. <laughs> but you know, it's the alias that Jennifer gave him in 102, the first time they were trying to check into the Emerson Hotel. And it's the it's the alias Cole will use in 1958, and that's how Cassie will find him in Blood Washed Away, is looking for Morris Morrison, um, who buys the House of Siren Pine. So it's just like all these tiny details, they connect to episodes we've seen, they're going to be used again in episodes we haven't seen yet. Um, we have the crazy mind fuck that Cole is an 11-year-old boy in Philly while his mother is four. <laughs> like, and ah. therein lies the problem of the entire show. <laughs> and then that takes us to Jennifer. I love 2020 Jennifer. Do you guys love 2020 Jennifer as much? She might be, she's like my second favorite Jennifer. I love her so much. She's. I love that she's already like, looks like a crazy cat lady <laughs> yeah she's she's got she's got old jennifer she's got the, the beginnings of old jennifer the leader of the daughters jennifer hasn't been that long <laughs> it hasn't been that long but she's like she's starting to go well, she, i love that she's got wisdom but also like she's not the calm 2044 jennifer that's like you know like she speaks in riddles, but it's more calm and sage, like, advice. This is, like, a Jennifer that is, like, half, exactly halfway in between because she's still, like, like almost kind of manic in her energy. Oh, yeah. Emmett agrees. Hi, Emmett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Emmett's, Emmett's beside me. That's my French bulldog, everybody. And official podcast <laughs> mascot, Emmett Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That was perfect. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, I love that little guy. Okay. So what I love about uh, thinking about these three people coming together is how much has changed since they were, since the season kicked off and they were all on the rooftop and Cassie wanted to shoot Jennifer and Cole basically like saved her. <laughs> um, and that, 
the fact that she's coming over and is so happy to see both of them that she hugs Cassie, right? So the last time Cassie was- Well, you know, they're like basically her best friends. <laughs> they are! <laughs> sure they're like her only her they're like her first two friends right <laughs> like i feel like in bodies of water cassie became jennifer's like second friend ever yeah pretty much you know so i mean besides the- deacon when she's four Oh yeah. Dad's yeah. an asshole never forget <laughs> uh, all right so you have like obviously you know She's so excited to see them. Obviously, a lot has changed between the two of them. The The discussion I want to have really quickly just to try and sort this out and maybe break our brains is Jennifer says the voices say you blew Jones away and then you didn't. So this Jennifer is being fed information from other primaries who have visions of what happened on this day in different versions. She also has her own timeline in terms of this is a 2020 Jennifer that has already lived through hyena. Like I'm trying to figure out how much does this Jennifer know from her own personal experience up until this point from going back and reliving things versus what the primaries are saying in her head. And Beep, you were going to fix this and explain it all for us, right? <laughs> yes. Again, another uh, <laughs> another advisory that <laughs> when I wasn't in a writer's discuss it, I could 100 But I think I'll get a little bit of it, right? Well, that that okay. counts. So how much does this Jennifer know? So we clearly see just from the lines that she knows more than Cassie. Mm-hmm. Obviously. So what does she know about the timeline from her canonically based on what she says? She's already you know, done high. Mm-hmm. And she's leading the daughters. She says like they're waiting outside for me. Mm-hmm. So we know that the daughters are a different group from the original hyena. Or maybe they're just referred to as marauders. Point. I don't know what. Uh, so what does she know from the voices the other primaries are telling her? And basically what she's saying <laughs> is they told, you know, like you just said. They said you blew away, Joan, you didn't. So I think that she's, that's how she's understanding that the resets are happening. Although she does remember that. So she's like, time change, but then nope, we're right back to where we were. It's like, what she's seeing is that the timeline is not being reset. I'm sorry, it's not being changed. And the reason why she's able to see that is Cole and Cassie, it's because they have the injections. For Jennifer, it's because she's primary. But does she know at some point, What's already happened that Hannah was saved? That I don't know. Okay, it, let me. That's let me a separate question. My, let me finish. Okay, my, my that's a, yeah thing. So, does she know that Hannah Hannah is the answer, and how much does Cole come up with the idea? Because she mm-hmm. calls him the puzzle man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I've seen this several times, obviously, and so I looked because these questions had already come up, and this is my read. I think that Jennifer. I think that Jennifer's role throughout this entire series, to a large degree, is to guide. Cole, because there are things that he needs to find out on his own. So in a way, just like it says time, you know, time needs the primary. I think Jennifer knows what needs to happen for them to get to the end. So I think that right now and through this, through this conversation that they're having, Jennifer is attempting to further mold Cole into a leader. And is is helping him to be able to go back to Jones, to have that hope, to say, like, look, we accomplished something. You know, we made a difference. But I do think that she knows. And she even says, you know, who's going to tell you to bring, um, bring, who's going to tell Jones to bring you back from the hotel in 24, 
2044 like I did. So obviously old Jennifer is already aware of what this Jennifer's doing, which um, you made the point that she's aware of the day resetting because she's a primary, whereas Cassie and Cole have the injection. I believe that this Jennifer has already had the injection. Right. So yeah, so that's my question. So that was my question. So there's a lot of different, right? Like Jennifer's primary herself. So just like the primaries that are talking in her head, she gets flashes of things that maybe on this day are now making sense, right? She Then number two, she has the experiences she's already had with Cole and Hyena, like you pointed out. Number three, she's got the primary voices. The part that makes my brain hurt is how much does this Jennifer, how much has this Jennifer already lived I with them? I think this Jennifer knows everything from living it or from the primaries from living it so this is a version of a jennifer who's had to go back and relive it in this timeline so i don't think this is jennifer who knows about titan no titan the final thing whichever other shifts we have through the series but i think in this timeline where we are right now where they've shifted the plague to where are we 2017 or 18 at this point wherever they shifted it Mm -hmm. i think this jennifer knows all of that and the reason i say that is because when you look back you always see that so for instance when when cole originally goes back searching for leland goines leland goines knows that he already met him in 1987 uh-huh. because it already happened cole does not know that because it has not yet happened in the timeline that we're in jennifer has not yet been, but in a few episodes, is pulled out of 2016. She does all her jumping around time, goes back to her life, in theory, in the timeline that we're mm-hmm. And by 2020, it's all done. It's all over. She's just living her life now. But in the plague. Right. Because that's this timeline. They didn't stop it. I think I get it right now. I could be wrong. I'm not saying, like, but that's the thing that is the clearest, that she would have already done, like, the stuff that yeah. they're going to do. It's just, it's just a different version of it. Right. Right. So it's a pre, it's a pre old, it's a pre old Jennifer nosebleed version of Jennifer that had to go back and go through this timeline. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Does that make yeah, sense to you, We don't see the only No, none of this see- makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm so lost and confused right now. I just like, I, I could just stare at my navel and, and understand more about the nature of the universe. <laughs> the only person that we see at the end living through anything is Cassie, right? We only see new Cassie in the sense of living through a time that she already lived. Right. So I I Well, think- and 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 we saw Cass- yeah, and we in season 1 we saw Cassie at the CDC. Right, right. But I'm saying at the end of the series, the yeah. only person that we see like living the time that they would have had to go back to mm-hmm. is Cassie. So this is not that Jennifer. Correct. I just think that whatever full version of the timeline that they're in, that Jennifer, that. Okay. I think that's like the, that was a great explanation, Beeb. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's a definitive answer. I think that's as closest to like, it makes sense to me after you explained it. Because at <laughs> this point, that Jennifer is not traveling. Correct. So she's done all that. In, in theory, she's been reinserted to wherever her time was. And this Jennifer's just like living. Right. I think it's, and you raise an interesting point about she knows about who's going to bring you back from the hotel in 2044 like I did. She knows right. that. And yep. it's 2020. Wait, so this Jennifer's been, been reinserted? That's what we're, th- what, that's what we think. Okay. So she's already experienced all of this. 
moved around. She's already experienced loop, loop. whatever has happened in the in the totality of this timeline. Because they do change the timelines again. So, so but this by Jennifer doesn't know. Jennifer right. has already been pulled out. She's already a time traveler. She's already, you know, she goes back to France or whatever it is. Yeah. Where, like, I would think that she knows all that. Okay. Uh, how many different timelines are there? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask questions. Um, I love, I love her. I love her humor when she's like, it's resetting. Cassie's like, that's not how time travel works. It's like, oh, look who's an expert now on time travel. (laughs) So great. Of course, she has her epic, I'm in a reboot line because the show is a reboot of a movie. Um, and then I love her, like, Kind of, it's not sarcastic, it's not the right word, but you know, the, the, the like classic line in this show was see you soon, right? Yeah. The Cassie and Cole, like farewell. But here it's just so funny in a fucking Groundhog Day episode when she's like, see you soon. And that means like yeah. literally in five minutes, <laughs> see you soon over and over. <laughs> so great. I love because she's like using that to prove like what she's saying is what's happening. You know what I mean? Like, right. Good job thinking you guys could do anything about this i'll see you in five minutes like right right i love it um did you guys have anything else about just this jail scene with jennifer um i okay so what i like about i think and i think i've mentioned this before probably maybe in the night room episode but what what i like about jennifer is that that her character gives the writers the opportunity to point things out that characters normally wouldn't narrate because it would be too weirdly like meta or whatever. Like her comments. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She'd be more telly rather than showy, but this, but she is a telly person because she's, you know, she's a primary. So like when she comments on, um, on, oh, it's the year 2020 and it's, you know, we, we don't always have 2020 vision. Like that's completely. That's the show telling us something. That's that's not just Jennifer saying it just to say it. So I really love like her meta commentary. It's just it's just it's great. And I think like her role is more than just being a character in the story. I think her role is is kind of being sometimes the narrator of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she tells the story the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting cuz you know at the end of this episode how Jones calls her causality's fool. Yeah. And sometimes I'm rusty on the Shakespeare, but like sometimes the fool is both obviously comedic relief, but is also pointing things out, right? Yeah, the fool is the person that's out outside of like the wrath of the king, basically, who can say almost anything without pissing the king off because they have that special role. So, so she is kind of that, um, cheeky narrator person that doesn't get in trouble for saying cheeky things because Mm -hmm. oh she's just the fool she's the comedic relief like you said the other thing that i wanted to um to mention was that whole welcome to my world scene (laughs) like i so i believe that that is the the part of either a, a preview or a fan vid that i watched that that told me I need to watch this series. Like, there's something special about this character. She's so wacky and out there 
that I really wanted to check 12 Monkeys out. So I think that specifically, that little line in that scene is what got me into the show in the first place. Um, it might have been the preview to season two so that I had to go back and watch season one and then and then catch up on season two as it was playing. Um, the other thing was they talked about Tether. And it's just, it just, Tether, like, man, after watching uh, the movie Us, that word is now very problematic for me. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like, they've, they lost, um, Cassie's tether back at, uh, uh, Raritan, right? Uh, that's just that word. And then see you soon. God damn it. I mean, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I just love it. Like, they're like seeing you soon. And then she turns around and she's like, they're like my best friends. I'm like, <laughs> I love I love that moment. So I remember watching it the first time and loving that moment because I was like, "Yes, things are coming together. My little found family is starting to to develop bonds with one another, and they're begrudgingly like um, they're begrudgingly, uh, I guess, um, what what's the word for it? Putting up with." With Jennifer now, and yeah. I remember back to the remember m- m- the the previous episode I was on was the night room when they Who's when Jennifer <laughs> yeah when they first when Cassie and Jennifer first met I'm like just looking back with the evolution of these characters and this isn't even as deep as it gets this is no. like scratching the surface right but like, she's I hugging love, her yeah love these moments love these moments so much because they're like little pieces of evolution in these these stories that I love so much because I, I think I've mentioned it before. I am a sucker for the found family. That's my catnip. I love it. And and this moment is just one of those where Jennifer realizes she's got people now. Right. And it's just so great. I know. And I love it because you pointed out when you were walking through which version of Jennifer – I, you know, I, I love Jennifer and Cole's friendship so much and the way they are mentors for one another, um, in different, at different points. And when the young one versus the old one is, <laughs> whichever one is talking to one another, um, and sometimes even using things that the other one said in the future back at them. Um, but this, this is like, she is taking him through a leadership, um, exercise, right? Like he does come out of the other end of this episode, not, you know, not only like the puzzle maker, but also like, you know, it's the first time he's going to be in the know versus Jones, right? About well, something. Yeah. Did, you know, didn't she say something about leadership in one of the, the, the other reboots, um, that she's got people out there waiting for her to be a leader and she can't be that if she's not mm-hmm. yeah, there and present. Like a leader's only good if they're there to lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like, so it, it feels like that one one moment back at the Emerson Motel where where uh, Cole was cheerleading Jennifer mm-hmm. was the springboard to her becoming kind of his mentor. It was It was not intended to be that way, but I think that he gave her the confidence to be his guide eventually in this series, which I think is really, really cool that she fulfills a a promise of, of who she can be through that, that singular interaction with him. Right. Like he, and then becomes a linchpin to everything. Right. It's like a circle of, he believed in her and she believes in him and it goes around and around and around, you know, it's just Um, so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I love it too, because I had a moment when she's like, wait, which version are you? Are you? What do you? What does hyena mean to you? And then I thought about like 
season four when he saves her in Prague and she's like, wait, which Cole are you? Right? Like they have all of these, like, you know, but that one, that in that case, he's gonna know so much more than her at that point. Yeah. You know? I wish they had name tags where they'd like identify <laughs> what timeline they're from. Like the magicians. Exactly. Whole <laughs> 23. Right, right, right. I know because like later in that scene with in with Foster, where they're all in the room, and you're like, wait, it's 2044 Cassie and Cole, 2020 Jones and Jennifer, and they're all in a room together. And this is crazy, right? Like, try to figure it out. Um, so to this- jump back real quick, my yeah. favorite, favorite part about the um, they're like my best friends line is literally nobody is her. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one is paying the slightest bit of attention oh to this woman. <laughs> Man, people must be used to some crazy shit in the post-apocalypse because <laughs> I would be staring at her. <laughs> I'd be like, she's kind of a big deal. You should listen to her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also she could use a hairbrush. <laughs> for oh, real. for sure. And like some conditioner. Oh my, oh my god. god. Oh my god. Do you god. think that she stopped brushing her hair because of Olivia? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> it just keeps getting bigger and bigger because oh my god uh, she has been um betrayed with a brush she's just not having it anymore oh i don't know but I, that's that's now what it is for me man that's great um, just like aaron marker does cassie's hair like jennifer just doesn't have anyone around to do it anymore and she doesn't trust anybody i love it we have all of our hair head cannons <laughs> uh, prove me wrong whatever <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So this timeline ends. I mean, this, I'm sorry, this round two ends with Cole's real age fucking it up, Cassie and Cole being badass battle couple. And then Cole, Cassie gets shot and Cole has to save her by going to kill Jones. And Cole walks into a room where his grandmother is sitting next to his dying child mother. What the fuck, guys? Okay. <laughs> it's like par for the course. I mean, whatever. But it's yeah, not. Like, that's just the show. It's like, no biggie. It's fucking I don't see, crazy. It's crazy now. I don't see now. why you have feelings about this. No biggie. <laughs> Happens all the time. Oh, my God. It is so insane to see an adult man with his child mother. <laughs> it's really crazy. I mean, um, I know. encounter that in DC? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so and then we we obviously had the moment where Cole it like makes my heart like he can't look at Jones when he's going to shoot her, no. um because he loves Jones, you know like ah um and as you said like the character like he's not just go fuck things up and kill people anymore. Okay, yeah, he he softens up over time. So that takes us to round three. <laughs> We're just on round three. We're on round three. Um, but. I think it's interesting. In this one, I know I noticed that Cassie starts to 
it's like she can't help herself as the doctor in the room. Oh, yeah. I noticed that, too. It's like she starts doctoring really quick. Right? She starts looking. And, and I love it because it's like this battle, right? Like, she's the one that thinks she needs, like, to pay for what she's done and fix everything and die. And she's been, like, Cassie, like, killing is the answer all season, right? And then she's like, wait, what's her temperature? Yeah. <laughs> and she's looking, right? And so she's like, it's like this Cassie the healer. Right? Like, remember our conversation? Remember the conversation in the night room? I'm just a healer. And that is, it's like, it's still part of who she is. She just yeah. hasn't been in a situation to, for that to even have like come to life again. So here she is and she's looking at the monitor and she's taking in the information that Hannah is immune, just like her mother. Um, and I just thought it's interesting. You like watch that. St- that like you can see that the wheels are starting to turn with her um and you know and ultimately like being a healer is what saves the day right like this round opens up with cole telling cassie like you can't just keep killing jones it's not working and <laughs> just it's till it sticks it's fine <laughs> just keep doing it it's the same debate they've been having since the season opener that killing isn't the answer. It's saving someone that makes the difference. And this episode, like, right? That's the big picture of this episode. Yeah, proves Sa- it again. Right. Um, so then you've got- But it doesn't change the timeline because it already happened. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so then you've got a- another scene with Cole and Jennifer in the jail cell. And I love that he says, use your primary powers. Because it is like her superpower, right? Like everyone is going to use like Cassie being a doctor, Jennifer listening to the voices and guiding him, um, Cole listening to her, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is his talent. Um, and when she says the uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and killing isn't the answer, I'm like, man, but like that's going to take a really long time for them to learn that lesson on this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and then we've got that line. Deep, I think it's your favorite line. One of your favorite lines in the whole show, right? Maybe time likes Jennifer. Yeah. It's Everything that comes out of Jennifer's in gold. Um, and then I also they- love that she's directly referring to time again as sentient. Time likes. Time won't let you. Time won't, you know what I mean? Like Jennifer's so believes in time. And also like what is what is she hearing in her head? You know what I mean? Um, when she says those things. Like, is that all the primaries saying time likes Jones the way she is? I don't know. So then you have, they hear the gunshot and she's like, okay, see you soon. And she's like waving to him. Okay. So then round four starts. You've got now the nosebleeds and the physical repercussions. You've got Casserole continuing to bicker. Um, and then you've got Jennifer quoting, it's the Groundhog Day film, right? The OK Campers. They're actually quoting the Bill Murray film. Right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, um, you know this show's propensity for pop culture references. Right. So when Cassie goes into the room this time, and she tells, she actually has a conversation with Jones and is like, you sent me. What I loved about it is, you know, the last time they were together, Cassie was the one losing somebody that she really cared about. Cole was sick, and she had to rely on Jones's like, expertise to save Cole. Mm-hmm. This time, Jones is the one that's totally out of her element. 
And Cassie's the one who gets to be like the smarty pants. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> right? Like Jones doesn't know what she's talking about. And she's like, but what do you, and she's like, no sensitivity to light. And she's trying the antibiotics. And like, I love seeing Cassie like in her element, in her expertise, which is decidedly like not like Jones doesn't know she's not a virologist. Right? Like, yeah. I, I love getting to see Cassie show that off like for a moment. Um, I love how Cassie is just kind of like getting into this groove now because I love that line uh that was yesterday's today like (laughs) (laughs) we are just resetting now and she knows it and like sure i might try something different but you know that was yesterday's today that's what we already did let's go in this direction right but i mean what's interesting now is this is the timeline where she saves hannah right but the day resets anyway Mm mm-hmm and Jennifer says Blondie's going to have to learn that time likes Jones the way she is. Right, because she, Jones can't know the hell right. was that. Right, All right. And that's very different from what she said prior that um, maybe time won't let you kill Jones, but maybe time likes Jones the way she is it has double meanings there. Mm-hmm. Because it could be referring to, to Jones as alive, but it also is referring to Jones as believing that her daughter is dead. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And having... Uh, Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's also interesting, though, because it is Cassie exercising sort of free will to make a different choice, right? Like Cole kept telling her killing Jones isn't the answer. So she makes a different choice and she saves her and time is still like, nope. <laughs> so, right. It's like particularly that reset is where you really feel like that Cassie and Cole are like bumping up against – there's like a very specific answer that time needs and they don't know mm-hmm. what it is, you know? It's it's their own personal little escape room. <laughs> right. The All worst right. one ever. The worst one ever. All right. So that takes us to round five, which is the, how about we just fucking do nothing <laughs> and see what happens then? This, this is also known. Help. Saving people didn't help. Let's just sit on our asses. Well, this is also known as um, the, the, the chat where Cece is probably flailing around like crazy. <laughs> For sure. And her little shipper. Basking in her little shipper moment. I know. I'm the only casserole shipper on this podcast, but um, I'm going to have to break it down. Um I think we all, regardless of whether you're, like, super into the romantic pairing or not, this is another example of this show lets characters have these kinds of conversations. Um, And it's really important, not only for, like, character development and character relationships, but there's a lot of thematic ground that this conversation covers. Um, I do ship them, by the way. I just think that primarily my delight comes from making freak out about shipping them. <laughs> Somebody has to do it, Beep. I salute you. Yeah, anytime I can find a gif that I know is going to make her go batshit, like, <laughs> doesn't affect me nearly as much. Right? Oh my god. Like, yeah, Tina, I do, but I'm just not fucking as extra about it, alright? <laughs> it's like, how shall we trigger CC today? Basically. All right, so let's break down. There's a lot in this conversation, thematically a lot. So the first is this faith versus reason. And I love that you have Cassie making fun of the idea. Like, this is the episode where we learn that time is a sentient being. And she's making fun of that idea saying, oh, did Jennifer say time is a man with a long white beard? (laughs) Right? Like, we're actually going to get to the end of this episode. And I think a lot of us are going to conclude... It's not a man with a long white beard, but it's a force, 
right? That is mm-hmm. acting. Um, it's already winked at us. Yeah, it has. Um, but, but I mean, this is an, another moment of cynicism from somebody who just doesn't believe mm-hmm. Jennifer. Right, right. Believe Col- fucking Jennifer. Believe her. And Cole does. Yeah. Right? Like, he's annoyed with her because it's always in riddles. And if you were Cole trying to get out of a Groundhog Day, you'd be annoyed with riddles, too. You'd be like, just fucking tell me the answer. But he believes her. Um, and Cassie's like, that sounds like bullshit. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> actually, a lot of people, like, Cassie tells him it's bullshit. Jones tells him it's bullshit. But he believes her. Um, which is kind of like, ultimately, like, Cole's superpower, right? <laughs> he believes Jennifer and does what she says. Um, well, because he gets results. Right. I mean... It might be a roundabout way to get there. It seems like time or Jennifer or something is fucking with him by not just giving him the answer, but it works. Yeah. So Cole tells the story that we alluded to at the beginning of the podcast about when he and Ramsey were kids and they were out in broad daylight and they get ambushed by these guys and he says they just lit us up and I like not only is it laying out sort of this do you believe sort of like the rational explanation? Do you be- like or rational or cynical or, you know, they were firing blanks or he he basically acknowledges that that's the case. But he also says believing that it wasn't our day to die helped us get through some really tough times, mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting way uh, you know, like Cole sounds kind of like he was like like an agnostic, like I don't really know, but sometimes on hard days, it kind of helped me get through it. You know what I mean? Like, whether he's, he says God, time, whatever. Um, and, you know, it is interesting because the, the the episode is about people needing hope in whatever form it comes in, whether it's getting your daughter back or believing that you have a purpose um, and how important that is just, like, to keep people going. Um, but... I also love it like as a as like a character like a character moment between the two of them because we haven't seen the two of them joke around since season one. You yeah. know? Like there hasn't been time for it. There's been so much conflict. And this is just the two of them sitting in front of a fire with nothing to do. And it's the first time we've seen them like he makes her laugh. Like I don't think Cole's made her laugh since season one. Mm-hmm. So um, but also, I got the, like, did you guys just get the sense in this conversation? Cassie is just fucking done. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's why, in a lot of ways, there was the the allure of going, like, oh, God, it'll finally be done. Oh, we go back to the plague, whatever. I can't fucking. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, there's a couple, like, takeaways. So, I, you know, we have the back and forth where Cole <laughs> is, like, you know, he was kind of mad at her at the beginning of the episode. But he's like, look, I get it. I get why you wanted to reset it. If I could take things back that I had done that like caused people pain, I would do it too. And he says if he could undo getting in the car in 2013, he would. And now it's like such a gut punch because he does. Like he will undo that. Um, And we'll like watch that. Um, But he also... You know, it, it's picking up what they were arguing about in the 1940s episode where he feels so much guilt about the impact that he's had on her life. And she, it's a little bit different because in part, she's always asserting her agency, right? My life, my choices. But the shift a little bit is, it's also a little bit like, look, dude, you got to let yourself off the hook a little bit here. <laughs> you know, like it's also 
addressing like his guilt, which does go hand in hand with her agency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also setting up so much for blood washed away because it's that guilt with him. If he could just reset it, if he could just find a place for her to be able to live her life, that's what's going to lead him to like walk away from her in a coma. And all of this is like, you know, this is setting up so much like for blood washed away. Um, I, I might need some help, guys, because when I was home watching this for the first time, my Mr. Chick and I were like, oh, my God, he's going to say he loves her. Oh, my God. Like, we were like, it's, gonna, it's happening. It's happening. Um, when he did, though. I know. No, I know. I... This is why this show is so fucking good because he says it without saying it and then it's like it resets and it's just like, yes, this is how you fucking do it. TV writers for almost any other show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I love when she, when he's like, I give up the mission and she's like, for what? What would you do it? And he is like physically pained at how much she doesn't fucking get it. Right. And then he says the like the line that like that like assassinated thousands of casserole shippers. The only world I ever gave a damn about is the one with you in it. And all of this, everything I've done, all of this bullshit is to give you a place to go back to. And you're like, oh, like it (laughs) murdered me on my couch. (laughs) (laughs) But if I put my like shipping feels aside for a second, in terms of a character moment for Cole, Again, when we did the night room and he was talking to Cassie, he said that the reason why he was doing this mission was basically redemption for himself. Remember? Mm -hmm. That has now shifted. He's doing this, like, I still think he does care about the greater good. But, like, if you were to push it, he's doing this for her. Right. To give her a world to go back to. Like... Which is another piece of evidence against, because she would be taking that away from her. That's a good point. (laughs) The other thing is that they're moving in opposite directions from one another, Mm -hmm. um, in that he is opening up Mm -hmm. and, and giving, not giving into, but allowing himself to, to feel things that are more, that, that don't center him and his feelings. Um, and then she's becoming more closed off. Uh, he's lived the harder life. And he's gone through kind of selfishness and he's done some bad things and he's, he's gone from searching for personal redemption to a greater good or a greater cause, even if that, that's just one other, one person that he cares about more than himself. And Cassie's had, you know, a pretty easy life of things until he enters her world and fucks everything up. And then she's shot into the future and she sees kind of the world as it is. And I think like, Seeing that and everything that, that they have to do kind of collapses her in on herself to where you, you know, even at the end of the episode, she's just not open to Cole the way she was in season one. So I, I like how emotionally they start to either like unfurl. Uh, as as a flower like little Cole does or just kind of close in on themselves like a, a spider dying in their their <laughs> legs curling up with Cassie. So I think uh, I just love that was, like how... That was colorful, Jen. Yeah. Wow. Well, I love it. <laughs> it, it yeah. just, a dying spider, you know. <laughs> Cassie, yes, Cassie is a dying spider, but it's just like they, they're moving past each other um, like ships in the night, but I mean, emotionally... He's in a place 
that that you know they could have maybe been together if he was there in season one at the same place he is now emotionally but it's just not the right time for them because they're just not on the same wavelength as far as the risk that they're able to accept and the reasons why they're doing things so i think it's it's interesting just kind of how how not just like Cassie moving emotionally through the world, but watching a a, a male main character mm-hmm. kind of do the same thing, but in opposite directions, is a really interesting way to approach a, a storyline from a very character centric perspective. Right, and it makes that right. It makes sense. It makes sense that Cole's perspective would be like, "Dude, I've lived in the post apocalypse. We could die tomorrow." You know, like, why wouldn't we give this a shot? Yeah, why, it's time to take those chances. It's time to open yourself up to being hurt, but also having, you know, it, it, something that you just can't measure um, it, with, you know, time or whatever. It's happiness that can exist in and of itself without having to be dependent on anything else in the world except for these two people. Right. You mean like a moment of happiness versus a lifetime of something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drop kick you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I let I I like the way you put that, Jen, because you know we've talked a lot about Cassie and Cole being like their journey, season one through season two, moral ships passing in the night. You know, but it's also you're right; it's emotional ships passing in the night. Like Cole's opening up, Cassie is that is like there's no way she's gonna open herself up. For a lot of reasons, guilt, revenge, managing the crazy fucking journey she's been on and Mm -hmm. like living, you know, like being dropped in the middle of the post-apocalypse and knowing what they have to do. But yeah, Um, it's just I just fucking love that scene so much. And you can see the emotion on her face, right? Like the thing with Cassie is she doesn't say it out loud the way Cole does, but you can tell that it affects her. And then I remember watching it and and my husband being like, oh my God, oh my God, are they going to kiss? And I'm like, no, they're going to fucking reset it. They're going to fucking reset it right now. And then boom, they reset it. <laughs> so, but here's the thing I noticed on rewatch. When they reset it and they open, the, the day restarts again and Cassie's dripping blood on the grass. Holy shit. The editing with the visions. You've got Cassie's blood on the grass. Then it switches to like the, you know, almost like film negative red forest vision of the blood on the grass. Then we see the house of cedar and pine. We see the, we see Titan. We see the witness. And then the camera focuses back on Cole and he asks her, what is it? And she says, it was a memory and he says of what and she says of tomorrow and you're like holy shit it's like visual clues in order about what all of this is about in 212 and 213 it's so great um do you guys have anything else are you guys proud of me i feel like i I kept it together (laughs) yeah except for the times that you were kind of screaming into the mic um but yeah no it was really good I mean, your voice is four octaves higher, but what? Uh, I'm gonna lower it. I'm gonna lower it. I'm gonna lower it. All right, <laughs> round six. You got Elizabeth six. Holmes it. <laughs> hey, hey, everybody. Let's talk about round six. <laughs> round round six. Beep. Do you want to walk us through the Jennifer? You got to do something, but nothing. Talk with Cole. 
Such a good, oh, I love this scene <sighs> so much. I do, lo- I love the line, I didn't see either of you yesterday. But- <laughs> <laughs> and she's and kind she, of right. She and she's missed right. them. Like, I, she was like, why didn't you come see me yesterday? But she's, like, she's also right, because she's like, dude, we got fucking work to do. Yeah. And they were sitting on their asses in front of the fire. So she's right. <laughs> yeah. And then she's she of course starts being like really I mean she's just being Jennifer, which is she's always like cryptic and I just after watching the whole thing I really do think that has more to do with the importance of like Cole and his journey than the than her like not know I mean definitely you know like in season one or whatever like she had no freaking idea I mean she she knew but even she didn't know what she was saying but now I think it's more like she is you know purpose uh, speaking. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but she knows the solution, though, right? I think so. I, uh, you mean I, I'm? I think I it's mean a, I don't know. I am confused. Like I don't know if time is telling her to do to to say these things, or if her the visions and other primaries are doing it. Which again, is that just time speaking through primaries? Like if she knows what Cole needs to do, why doesn't she tell them? Tell him, and is it to give him? Another moment of growth. Okay, let me back up for a second. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't believe that she totally... Because this is ahead of her. Remember how I talked about I think she knows everything this timeline like from before? Nope, hmm. I lied. I do think she knows this. <laughs> what? I, hold on, I'm so sorry. Plot Delete twist. some of that. I do think she knows this because theoretically she's met Hannah. Like 2016 Jennifer has met Hannah. Oh. So she knows that she's alive. <laughs> <laughs> In theory, I mean... In uh, theory! Have you ever had somebody just have a stroke on a podcast and die? Because this might be a first. (laughs) We'll send the the prop to your funeral. (laughs) Thanks, I appreciate it. Jen, you win! You (laughs) get the prop! She literally went all out. Like... have an aneurysm <laughs> from trying to figure out what jennifer knows you get the 212 prop you win <laughs> oh my god oh my god all yes, right i think i mean i think cole just has to come to these things on his own and i think part of that is because this is just such a long journey and as you said uh, CC earlier like 2043 2044 Jennifer is like so calm so accepting so like resigned but not in a bad way so resigned to her you know to her future and the way that time has worked itself out like she really she has faith in time like Olivia wants to have faith ah. so however long it takes mm. is not important like what We're- we cannot do now though is just like like the interesting thing of this is is just like Jones in this part, you know, cannot be killed. Like, Cole has plot armor, too, and not because he's the main character. It's because killing him will not solve the problem. They can't fix the problem. Right. right. Because right. the fact that he's born is the issue. So he has to be unborn, not killed. Right. I mean, there's so much at stake in this episode that we had no idea. Like, in this episode, you thought... The stakes were merely the invention of time travel. Right. But if Cole isn't born, then they can't fix all of the, like, ruptures he has caused. Right. Already. Right. Right? So, like, the stakes, when Jennifer is, like, all amped up, it's, like, not only such an important... I mean, you also... I mean, the other thing that struck me the last time I watched it is Jennifer is about to get executed. Uh Uh-huh. 
So, right? And, like, Colonel Foster said that, right? Like, coming on to the military base means that she's about to get executed. And so she's saying that to Cole, like, bang, bang, I'm going to get bullet in the head. I can't go lead the daughters and I can't go do all these things I need to do. So, this But we sta- also know just strictly from 205, Jennifer, that she's seen the word of the witness. September 2044. She's alive. She doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, she's got that armor, too. But it's all, but she needs Cole to do what he does on this day. Of right. course, I'm just yeah. saying I think part of her glee and like not freaking out like, oh my God, if you don't do something, I'm going to die. She's like, yeah, whatever. Like, not yeah. really, though. Well, her her glee once he figures it out is almost like, all right, here we go. Like, yeah. now it's getting good, right? Like, things are moving forward, right? Like, yeah. So you have this scene. Well, I think she's bored. <laughs> she's, finally, yeah. she's finally out of the jail cell, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, that she never like kind of just hit him on the head, like, get with it dummy is amazing to me right (laughs) and he's the one annoyed at her and she's the one like dude just fucking figure it out right like so you have the cole kind of i thought his plan is pretty genius because the way jones when he he makes it seem like jones was in on a plot to infect people the way jones and cassie react to that because it's not true, actually supports his story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're like, what? Cole, what are you doing? And it's not because he's revealing, <laughs> yeah. like, the real, right? They look like they're crazy. Right. So then you you go out to the firing squad scene. Jennifer, if you just if you just go back and rewatch this scene and just keep your eyes on Jennifer the whole time, she's having the fucking time of her life. <laughs> <laughs> of course she is. <laughs> She knows that's not the answer. She knows it's going to work, but it's great. It's so funny. I had never really focused on it until this last time that I watched it. If you just like filter everything else out and watch her, it's so absurd, right? Like they're fi- they're facing a firing squad and well, she's see, like, yay. But at this point, I mean, yeah, she's nuts. But it's different. But, but it's something Cole new. Knows this isn't going to work either. It's not like he's taking a chance. Like, he just wants to be able to talk to Jones. He knows this is gonna is not going to do anything. Right. He knows that, you know, Jones is going to get shot and they're going to restart again. He just wants the opportunity to speak to her. Right. And, and then, so yeah. in this way, he has almost as much faith as Jennifer. Yes. Well, I think... I think he and Cassie, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's, okay, so he asked Jones, is a little bit of happiness worth a lifetime of anything else? And Jones says yes. And that's like this, oh my God, if Jones could only have any idea <laughs> what he's asking her, right? And she'll never remember the question because it's reset. Um, but like the magnitude of what he's asking her and how she couldn't, she can't possibly know it. In that moment, she's just lost her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the question he's asking her is, is in order to give her back to her. Like, it's just, uh, um, but he's also kind of seeking that permission. Cause it's like, by the way, we're going to keep 24 years and your life's going to be fucking miserable that whole time. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you have actually, you know, the Cassie grabbing Cole's hand was Amanda Scholl's idea. Mm-hmm. <gasps> really? Yeah. yeah she did. Yeah. Oh. And they like, <laughs> whoa, we broke her. I thought it was the timeline that was <laughs> No, she's got a little shipper feels or, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, it's such a great, right? That is so Cassie. 
to reach out physically, but not with words, mm-hmm. you know, like it's so in character and it's, it's not only about emotional connection between the two of them. It's she has faith, like they're going to face this together, right? It's what he's been saying the whole episode, stop running off, right? And yeah. stop doing it on your own. She's now grabbing his hand and they're going to face it together. Um, yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure Beep just made a gif of that to like make me squeal. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> I appreciate that. Please do more of that, Beep. Every time she asks me for gifts, I go through and find like one more than she asked for. <laughs> But it's just one that will wreck her. Sometimes I go to a different episode. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask me for things. Oh, you're a little emotional terrorist. I love it. All right, guys and listeners, we got to round seven. And round seven is, and this is, I love, this is why this, uh, one of the reasons why this episode is so good is Cole says, I think I know how to get us out of here. And then they make us wait. Yeah. Right. And we get instead of seeing it like I, I feel stupid to say linear. Lin, I can't even say the word like linearly. L- linearly. Yeah, I can't that word. Bam. Instead of showing it to, uh, even In though it's order. a ground, right? <laughs> we go to back to twenty forty four. Yeah, all of a sudden they just splinter back, and it's like, what the fuck? Right. And the music is triumphant, and you're like. But I don't know why. What? Like, how did they do it? Um, and, you know, obviously the camera shows Deacon's face that Cassie's back. Right? Oh, he's so in. Oh, he's oh, he's got it bad. Poor Deacon, man. Ooh, that look on his face. I love him. I know. And you've got this, like, look between Cassie and Cole. Like, can you imagine? For them, they just – think about how crazy this is. They just saved four-year-old Hannah – and now they're back, and it's like 24 years later, but it just happened for them. Mm-hmm. And they're <laughs> they, going to go meet her, like, and they know that. What? And they have to explain it. And, and can you imagine having to explain that to Jones? That's why they didn't. Like, you know what I mean? They're just like, oh, my God, just come on. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? This is a show-don't-tell moment. <laughs> yeah, right? We do not know how to tell you this. Right? So then we've but got. By the way, you did tell me a moment of happiness worth a lifetime of anything else. Okay, got to go by. <laughs> You're stopped from being mad. Right. That's, uh, yeah, that's like, <laughs> it was permission. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> well, we also had to know if it would work. Would that give her hope? Right. Um, okay, so then we have, before we get to the big moment, we've got the Jones versus Cassie and Cole cynicism versus like belief in Jennifer and time argument. Um, and, you know, as we said before, there's a whole added layer of what the fuck with what they're arguing about because of the bigger picture of what we know they actually have to do. Um, but, you know, Cole is praising Jennifer and he's, you know, uh, reiterating primaries, time needs them to help them think. And Jones calls her causality's fool. And she's like, um, basically like, whatever. It was a glitch. It was a slingshot sequence. And that's why, you know, that's why they came back. And like, I do think if you're going to argue like, oh my God, time is a sentient force is such a huge leap. I think it's also a leap to, to ask us to conclude that it was just fixing the machine and it just happened to be simultaneously with when they saved Hannah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know? I mean, even then, it would still be, you'd think that time had done it because it gave them enough time to do it. 
It's one thing if they saw it go away and come back one time, like, on there. But, I mean, how many times are... But also, I mean, I don't know. I guess from their perspective, it kind of makes sense in the sense it's just, like, we lost their tether and now it's back. It's not like they could tell. Like, she's not, like, jumping through time, you know? It's not like, holy shit, now she's in... 2017 holy shit now she's in 2033 you know whatever like yeah but i bet if it had sat down with the data you know like there's a different where where, you know cole could have been like adler print out the data that was the time this happened and this is the time that happened right so i think that if there's a frankly a leap either way but but if you look at it this way in in the sense of there there being no I mean, Joan's not even, she's not even looking at any other potential side like a scientist would, whether you want to call it, you know, their fate or any of that stuff. She's not even open to the idea that there's another way. And I think this is just like what happened to her at Spearhead, like where she convinced herself, you know, that her way was the only way and Foster's Mm -hmm. way was shit and she started lying to people. Mm -hmm. I think at this point... She has not only resigned herself, but has decided the only solution is for her to die. So she's accepted that. Like, I need to die. And then they come back and she's like, what the fuck? You couldn't even get that right? Right. (laughs) Right. And she says it. You know, it's funny because it's almost like a fucked up parallel to the original mission she sent Cole on, right? Right. Kill kill someone. Right. Kill someone and fix it. And then she says it hurts when Jones expresses disappointment to Cole. Like, you failed once again. I'm like, oh, man. Right? Like, oh, it hurts when she says that to him. But, like, you're right. This What he's asking her to do is to basically, like, gird your loins. We're not done. Right? And time needs us. And that is not what Jones wants to hear right then. Um, I do like that he's not, um, or that neither one of them are, like, arrogant towards, you know what I mean? As far as, like, well, whatever, yeah. why don't you come I mean, over here? <laughs> like, they've, they've got some pretty hard news to give her. Oh, absolutely. Right. But a so, lesser character could be like, I need you to shut up. Like, we did to get over here. You know what I mean? They, in the hands of lesser writers, this could have been a shit. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. I think it's also interesting, like, as we were saying before, when Casserole, when Cassie and Cole work together, and when characters work together and save people, mm-hmm. that is always what makes the difference. I, I think it's, I th- I also think that it's kind of interesting that she's, she's cynical here and a little bit hard towards them, because that gives, that gives the writers and the actor a good opportunity to show that switch when the reveal comes Mm -hmm. that we're kind of like, Oh, she's, 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 she's a little bit like off putting here. Um, she's not soft in any way. So you harden her up a little bit before the reveal. So you can, so you can just tear all, all of that hardness down and give her that moment and give Barbara that moment to really show the emotion um, of that realization wash over her. So I think, I think this is a really interesting way that the writer set up that, that kind of let's give her a larger emotional shift maybe than perhaps they would have if she had been a little more understanding of, of their story when they came back from their, um, from their loops. That's a really good point, John. And the other thing that they saved is they never actually up until the end, showed us the moment of Jones being pulled away from Hannah. They say like they save that emotional gut punch for the for the flashbacks to when she's actually saved. Yeah, they're they're giving you like um 
they're giving you like these really large emotional moments very close to one another. And I like how I like, I mean, everything that builds up to the reveal, the, the narrative that they go through, kind of the, the, um, flashbacks to these loops that we don't see mm-hmm. and the music throughout the whole oh thing is just God. phenomenal. The music. It's like, Oh my God. Is that a fucking cello? Because that's going to make <laughs> me cry. <laughs> So he's the goddamn cello. All right. So let's go to that. Let's go to the Hannah scene. Um, I think it is the first time everyone is together with old Jennifer ever, right? It's the first time Deacon and so. Ca- it's yeah. the first time Deacon and Cassie encounter old Jennifer. So they're all actually in the same place in in 2044. You've got old Jennifer. I love the like. It's not anything said, but it's like this quiet. You can tell like this is a bittersweet day for Jennifer, right? Like she mm-hmm. has raised Hannah. Mm-hmm. And, and she's waited with this info for so long. So long. Yeah. She knew the whole time, obviously, that Joan existed. I mean, she kept her child for four years for me. That would have to that would have to be a lot. Right. And then, you know, it is a leadership moment. Like Cole's like, you tell her. And she's like, nope. You need to tell her. You're the puzzle maker, right? It's Cole has to own this is the thing he did. Um, oh, and by the way, you're also the, the son and the grandson. Oh, but my go, God. But, go. <laughs> but carry on. <laughs> we haven't even gotten to Hannah in the blade. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, so I also love that this is such a reversal for Cole and Jones. Like, right, like for most of season one, Jones knew things that had already happened and Cole was the one that was in the dark. And in this scene, it's like the tables are turned. Um, and just the way he explains it, it's just such, it's like such a leadership moment for him. And it's so strange for for Jones to be the one who doesn't know something that's so important. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, so we have the music and you're right. Like the way they do the flashbacks, it's like, I don't know how it's so like efficiently edited and yet for maximum emotional impact. You know what I mean? Like, especially after we've just had this like rhythm of like a groundhog day, you know, a part of the episode. Um, I fucking rewind and rewatch like a million times Cassie's like, Dr. Hero moment. <laughs> um, because it's like so awesome, but we're also seeing her like smile, like, right? Like, this is who she used to be, right? And she's saving a little girl and she's being a healer. And then it goes to Jones taking her glasses off. And every time Jones takes her glasses off, that's when I start to cry. <laughs> every time. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Take over because I'm gonna start to cry. <laughs> oh it's a no, CC. You gotta, you gotta muscle through this. No, I'm sorry, guys. My mom feels I am wrecked at the beginning and the end of this episode. Um, we go then to Cassie Cole carrying his four year old mother. <laughs> <laughs> ah! <laughs> wow. This is the best. <laughs> Insert wailing. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it's like not. It's like this episode. 
episode was already a deluge of emotions, and now we have to add it that it's his mother. Like, he saved his mother. And, and it's like, you know, when Megan was on the pod for Paradox, she made the point that the way that she's wrapped up in the blanket and the way Cassie hands her to Jennifer, it's like almost like a midwifing scene, right? Like, handing a child over to, like, her one mother who she'll call mm-hmm. mother um and you go all the way back to Jennifer and I mean Cassie and Jones were the ones in the car together talking about when Jones was going to have this child it's just a lot of like just circles and circles and circles of mothers and daughters and birth it's just beautiful um but it's also just like you have the moment where Hannah steps forward and we realize on rewatch that we have seen her now in the background at least two, three times. And she, she step- was a ninja. <laughs> yeah. She stands over. Um, I mean, she steps up. She comes forward. And Beep, you were the one who was saying that, like, I mean, obviously, this is so much emotion. And it's like you're wrecked watching Joan. But, like, this is the first time we've ever seen Hannah. And I'm also just, like, riveted by the emotional journey going on in her face. Well, it's also, yeah, and it's also everyone around her. Because you have, like, she walks up. Jennifer is her mom. hmm So Jennifer is the one that gives her the nod, like, yes, this is okay. Like, we knew this moment was coming, sort of thing. Did, did Jennifer tell Hannah that this was coming? No. We, no, I the next The next, ep- well, the next episode... Um, Jennifer used to tell Hannah a fairy tale, like that she was on the back of a golden swan, right? Like something you could picture old Jennifer <laughs> telling her. Jennifer I'm surprised it wasn't a unicorn. <laughs> oh, right. Um, and, and she thinks her name is Zeit. Um, and, and when they hand the Hannah blanket to her, like that name means nothing to her. Right. So I don't. Um, Zeit means spirit. It means time. Day. Time, time in German. Spirit of the times. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, Hannah steps forward and now we have a connection to Hannah that we never, now when you're rewatch, but even the first time I was surprised at like how much I felt with her in that scene as much as Jones, if that makes sense, even though she's a totally new character. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, rewatching it, like it's Hannah. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, there's like this very, there's like this, solemn kind of ceremonial everything else is quiet there's no dialogue once we see her face i mean it's just it's all about watching the emotions on their face and they just have two tremendous actresses in that scene like that make it what it is you know yeah i mean i love this scene so much it's just like i i still don't know uh, like how do we care about her so much? Because it's not just Jones. Like, of course, it's amazing, you know, to see Jones and to understand that and that build up and everything. So maybe it's just because Hannah, like, has been in the background for so long. But, mm-hmm. like, you see her and immediately you're like, I love you and I would save you too. Like, well, the thing is, like, she's been this this character that's loomed over the whole story. Um this whole time like she's the reason why anything is happening she's the she's the radioactive spider basically to jones's time travel shit like she's she's the reason for all of this happening and that you finally like get to see this person that 
has that Jones loved so much and that Jones is so pained over, like right in front of you. I'm like, what like what was your what like oh fuck moment when you realized during the 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 loop flashbacks and the narration and the music building that holy shit, they saved Hannah and this woman is fucking Hannah and this is she like ah Jones, this is your daughter. Like fuck right and but- then yeah. and then what and then you and then once you finish the whole fucking series, then you have to go back and rewatch it because there's more oh fuck, holy fuck moments to layer on top of it once you realize <laughs> everyone's relationship to one another. You're like, so this is this episode and this scene in particular has gives you so much more once you get further on into the series and you're like Oh my god, they're all related, and that's Cole's mom and grandma, uh, and yeah. and then just the tears. Which, by the way, like if you want to just like throw some more like gasoline on the fields f- fire, we have Cole who thinks he has never known his mother, like that his mother abandoned him, and that he doesn't know his mother as he's never known his mother. Mm-hmm. Cole's meeting his mother in this moment too. He just like the the tragedy of it is he will spend all of this time and not know it, you know, with her until he won't realize it until like the very moment she's dying in his arms. And so there's all these kind of like loops of childhoods that were stolen from parents, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's you know when you're watching when you're watching Jones, like when Jones is getting hauled away in the moment. And the performance is just fucking balls to the wall, right? You like feel her like agony as they are ripping her away from her daughter. And, and it's, it's, isn't it silent? Yes. Is it just mm-hmm. music? Yep. Yeah. Which is just like, oh my God, right? Like, uh, it, it's even worse when you can't hear the crying, but you imagine the crying, right? Yeah. Like, so. Um, and they're just like, we incinerated your kid so no one else could get the plague. No worries. Like, that's right. That's the last. Room. Like, damn. That's the last time she saw her, right? But in that moment, Cassie's telling her, that's what you thought you saw. Oh, of course. So you're watching this, like, plaintive grief, and she's not really dead. And you had all those years that time almost in this kind of fucked up way demanded from Jones, right? And then you have Cassie and Cole standing there. They're kind of like emotion. They're both emotional. You can see them almost kind of like gravitating towards each other. They're, they're going to have their son's childhood stolen from them too. You know, like same thing's going to happen to them with Ethan, right? Like right now, Jones is getting what she always wanted. But it's in the form that she never expected. It's her 28-year-old daughter. Does mm-hmm. anyone on this show have parents, like, that actually raised them? Well, and Cole has his parent there and won't know it. It's, like, the flip side of that tragedy, right? It's like, like the show doesn't like kids. It just rips <laughs> everything away from the kids. And Cassie. Kids and Cassie. That's yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. I mean, I think the other reason, Beep, why it means, why it hits us, not only is Hannah Loom so large, we also have, by virtue of this Groundhog Day, we have watched this little girl die over and over again. And it's like, uh, watching a kid die is not like easy TV. So when we finally get the release at the end that she saved, it's like, 
I think I would have been joyful even if it hadn't have been all of like the history that had been yeah. built in, you know? Yeah. Well, also, can we please just say that Brooke Williams, like in this scene particularly, uh, is just so fucking adorable. <laughs> and like her little face, like you're just She's like, so cute. I mean, I wanted to hug face. her the same way Jones did. <laughs> I'm like, I'll take you home now, little girl, <laughs> even though she's like 28. <laughs> I know. I also think it's interesting. We see all that charcoal on her face and Jennifer in 2020 had all the charcoal on her face. Like the idea, like the daughters do this, mm-hmm. right? And it comes from Jennifer. Um, just to bring this it's back. It's because Olivia bathed her too. So she's <laughs> yeah, it's like Jennifer just no starts bass, these no fashion brushes. trends because she's dirty. <laughs> I love it. It's like Jennifer's lack of hygiene origin story. <laughs> it's all banned. Olivia giving her a bath and brushing her hair. Yeah. It totally makes sense. Baths and brushes are banned. Not creepy at all, Olivia. <laughs> um, I do, I do like just to like bring it back to one more serious thing in this moment. Like the 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 like both pain, but then like joy on Jones's face, and then shifting to her saying basically. Basically, like, as we shift to the next scene that, like, her hope is restored, it goes back to what her father told her in Paradox, right? It's the heart that sustains us, um, which is that advice is what led, in part, led her to keep Hannah in the first place. So it's that theme mm-hmm. of, like, it, we're about to switch to a scene where Cassie is, sh- like, turning human connection off. But this idea that goes all the way through the end of the show that, like, human connection, love, that is what sustains people. They're, like, even the most difficult of circumstances. Um, if I can get through this casserole scene at the end. Oh, my God. God. Are you going to cry? Are you going to cry? No. I- no. Can <laughs> you cry? Can you cry now? <laughs> mothers and daughters but like this is like if somebody could put together like a a clinic for television writers about how you throw an obstacle up like you get you bring the couple up to almost the threshold where you're like oh my god is it actually gonna happen and then you snatch it away but but make it make sense and not be a bullshit obstacle like, yeah, or another person. Right. Like, this totally makes sense. Like, the best case scenario, as far as they know, they're epically fucked in terms of fate. <laughs> right? <laughs> epically fucked. Best case scenario, Cole's, that, Cole's think- fucking jailbait. Like, it's not going to happen. So, like, it's never, right? It's never. If She's they- like 30 and he's like six. It's like, like it's right? <laughs> Like, so, I mean, it's worse than, yeah, that's not even, like, an appropriate way to put it. Like, there's no way it could ever happen. So if they win and save the day and save time and everything that Cole just gave Jones a speech about, they end up not together. So you can understand why Cassie's like, why the fuck would we do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, on the other hand, this scene is something that, even though she's shutting down her emotions, she obviously, like, you can tell in the performance, like, with her closing her eyes, you can kind of see emotions washing over her. But at the end of the series, when she's contemplating losing Cole and and contemplating, like, shutting the clock down, she thinks back, this is one of those seminal moments, right? Like, 
even if she was shutting down the emotions, even if she doesn't admit it, she was feeling so much in this scene because they will continue to take us back to it from Cassie's perspective. Yeah. Um, so we have the like Cassie wondering how Cole's not mad at them. And he's like, well, you know, it's not perfect, but it's something which I don't know is just kind of like, that's life, man. <laughs> right? Like you got to take it where you can get it. Um, Especially considering his life, which has been hard. And I would assume that, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess Cassie's, Cassie doesn't shut her emotion down. She shuts down the possibility of following through with what they both want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, no, she feels emotion, the performance. Yeah, no, yeah. she's not, sh- like, especially when she goes back to her room and she can see that she's shaken mm-hmm. by this decision. But she's just like, you know, I just think protecting herself. Um, I th- I think that we kind of underestimate what being shot into mm-hmm. 20, what was she shot into 2043 mm-hmm. or 2044? I think we underestimate the shock and just change in her life that, that takes place here, which is why I kind of really get upset at people who, who shit on season two, Cassie, mm-hmm. um, because uh, you live your life um, being okay with everything, and then Time Traveler comes in, says everything gets fucked up, you die soon, and then you're shot into the future where everything's shit, you can't even go outside without a, a mask on. Like, I think your perspective and the way you interact with the world will change a little bit. So if you don't like Cassie for being a badass and shooting guns and fighting people and then like being a badass doctor, well, you can just suck it. Because I think this Cassie is really, really interesting and completely understandable given that she pretty much goes through – I think this is a trauma that she goes through mm-hmm. when she goes to the future. Like just consider what your life would be like if – Everything changed for you. Oh, and you're 50 years in the future, and everything's gone to shit. So say we all, John. With no <laughs> so warning, no shit, suck it. no nothing. I mean, suck it, Cassie haters. Suck it. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> that was beautiful. That might make me cry, Jen. Um, <laughs> all right. So, again, going back to what Jen was saying before. It's like Cole. suck it. No, no, well, about Cole. It's Cole who is opening up his emotions. He's the one who goes out on the list. Yeah. And he grabs her hand. And I I actually was like thinking about like shows that are like this, like that are post-apocalyptic in like genre, where like there's the mission all the time, and there's all of this like violence and horrible shit that's going on. And the way that they have very carefully managed these Cassie and Cole moments, right, where they're just giving you little breadcrumbs at a time, it kind of reminds me of when you watch a period piece and people aren't allowed to touch. So when oh, they, so when interesting, they, you know, so when they actually do touch. It's such a big deal, right? And it shouldn't be a big deal, right? Like, we're used to watching shows and films all the time where people are, like, naked and rolling around, right? Mm-hmm. A hand- Yeah, five minutes after meeting each other. Right. Like, a hand touch shouldn't be, like, such a big deal. But, like, it reminds me, did you guys ever see Martin Scorsese's Age of Innocence? Did that have Michelle Pfeiffer in it? Yes. And Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, oh my God. I just pulled that out of thin air. But nice. no, I never saw it. Oh! 
oh man, you got me excited. Okay, there's this is not. I mean, you know, Edith Wharton wrote this book a really long time ago. This isn't a spoiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's this scene in it, and think about it. Like Martin Scorsese is a guy that can fucking do like over the top big moments, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this scene in it where they're. Michelle Pfeiffer and Daniel Day-Lewis are in a carriage and they are not, he's married, they're not supposed to be falling in love. He takes off her glove. That's literally all that happened. And yet, it is like the most charged, sensual thing. And you're like, dude, why is this such a, you're like, on the one hand, you're like, oh my God, right? He's taking off her glove. And then after the movie, you're like, oh my God, all he did was take off her glove. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But it's like because you you parse those moments out so carefully that then when they actually do happen, it seems so intimate and like such a big deal. And like Cole is reaching across this like chasm, right? Like, and she reciprocates, which is so interesting, right? Again, physically reciprocating, even if she's not gonna like say it out loud. And she, when she says, you and I both know that we're going to lose so much before this is over. Now, when you watch it, you're like, God, that is so true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck. Prophetic. Right? Like, yeah. They're going to end this season. She's pregnant and separated. Cole's going to think he has to erase all that. They're going to lose their son. She's going to think she loses him. Right? It's just they're on this precipice and she is absolutely correct. Right? And then you have the like fucking swing for the fences moment of Cole saying, I'd rather have that moment and lose it than die never having it at all. And she says, it's the losing that haunts us. And you have the like lean in almost kiss. And then this can't happen. And I threw, I think, at least two pillows. <laughs> Pretty sure. I think it was a two pillow throwing moment. Two pillows, a love seat, and a couch. <laughs> Who are you? Got a new TV. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Emo- I have a question for you, though. Emotionally, in this moment, who do you guys like? Agree is not a great word because I think they both have points, right? Cole's point is almost the point he's making at the end of the series. All we have is now, right? Mm -hmm. All we have is now. So like, let's live in now. And she's the one that's like, yeah, but then it's the after that will be so much worse than if we don't open these emotional floodgates, right? And we've already talked about how that ties into all of the other big picture questions at the end of the series. Who are you guys emotionally with? That's hard to say, but I Mm. think, honestly, I kind of at least understand Cassie's point more right now. I mean, the whole goal of their mission is to erase currently mm-hmm. so like that's a foregone conclusion in theory at this that you know that that will be undone and not have happened mm-hmm. i also think she's just still in a place is like a bajillion percent incapable of doing mm-hmm. and it's not even about him it's about the fact that like if she gives into this she will like disintegrate and completely fall apart like she's still mission oriented because it's only thing that she can handle and even though yes all these like emotional moments are like fleeting through this is like i just feel like right now especially with all the issues had with you know having her agency taken by the witness being like mind raped and doing Mm -hmm. all these things like all she can handle is just surviving Mm -hmm. and she cannot add in these other layers to it and so for him i i feel like in a lot of ways that for him it's i mean he's gone from knowing the apocalypse his whole life to seeing like 
wow, there's potentially this different world. And like, even if I never get to live it, I can live it right now. And her world is like being systematically destroyed. Yeah. But also, let's let's go back to the witness bit where she was vulnerable to him and, and then taken over by him. That could happen again, right? No, because now she has those injection, injections. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. But it's still fucking with her head. We well, saw in this episode. Well, it's still fucking with her head, but right. again, it's like she was interested and curious and maybe wanted something, and it it cost her and it cost Ramsey, and, and um, it cost Joan. So it's like she's she's kind of coming off of that incident of of again her putting her feelings before the mission was didn't turn out all that great um so she probably doesn't want to put him at risk any more than she wants to put her own feelings at risk but i'm i'm very much on on cassie's side here like running away from emotion is very much in my wheelhouse yeah, I'm, I'm, so never. As emotion runs faster than ever has in life. <laughs> never. The only time I run is away from emotion. Ah, see, exactly. and I'm always that friend that like, you're out at a bar and you're like, should I text the guy? Yes, text the guy. Yes, you have to, right? Like, if you don't, you'll always wonder what would have happened if you didn't. Like, always the, like, giving the fucking, like, I think I'm Robin Williams sees the day. Like, oh my God. moment. Wow. I always am like, go for it. Because, like, wouldn't it be worse not to, like, I- I'm totally with Cole in this moment. Like, I totally... I, of course you are. Right, but no, no, oh, no, but... CC my CC. No, I don't, I don't even... I don't even mean it in terms of... Like, like I'm glad it's... just it, sticking with the metaphor. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't even mean it because I don't want them to kiss now, right? The reason why 212 is so epic is because they don't hear, right? So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, emotionally, like, in terms of my outlook, I even though I totally understand all of the reasons why Cassie's like, no, I'm Cole in that moment. It's like, go for it. Because all you have is now, right? Like, you get hit by a truck tomorrow. Go for it. So I just think it's interesting. It's like an ink blot test, like emotional ink blot test. Who are you in that scene? Are you managing the risk? Or are you like, no, let's jump off the cliff. <laughs> oh, manage the risk. Oh, I'm going to jump off the cliff. I just think that Cassie's. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh I'm, st- oh, I'm, I'm well, off. if you're both jumping off the cliff, yes, I'm still yeah. I'm still here managing the risk. I mean, I'm going to hit the rocks below. but. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a sweet dive until then. (laughs) I think also what I love is, again, like we were saying that the fireside chat set up some things that will happen in Blood Washed Away. They're going to come back without being explicit to it when they're in the house of Cedar and Pine and Blood Washed Away and Cole is like, and you push me away so that you would have nothing to lose, right? And now you don't. And he's calling back like to this moment where she Mm -hmm. shut it down because she was afraid of losing. So it just, there's so much set up at this kind of halfway point in the season that's going to pay off when we get to the end. Um, I think that just takes us to the final scene. So Cassie runs back. She actually lets herself break down and cry. And Ramsey's fucking waiting there with two bullets to take her out. Another freaking gun in her face. Right. Um, he, Remember the rest of the episode he wasn't in? It was so great. Oh, he's <laughs> You're terrible. He's like, 
Oh, anyway. Okay, we already went over that he lost his son. He's clearly, like, he's drunk, right? He's sitting there waiting to basically to kill himself and kill Cassie. Or not in that order. And... (laughs) Yeah, that would be... (laughs) Although, I mean, frankly, in this moment, I'd prefer you win in that order. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, I am struck by Cassie has just gone from the most insane emotional roller coaster between saving Hannah, being there for the reunion, having that moment with Cole and closing it off, coming back, she's emotionally wrecked. And then when Ramsey sticks a gun in her face, she is so almost it's almost like unnerving how calm she is. Yeah, like bring it, bitch. I don't care. Right. I was about to go do this anyway. Yeah. Right? Um, and then she's still feeling guilty. She still feels responsible for all that. And then I think even what just happened, even though she turned cold down, I think she feels guilty for that too. Because that's another, it's a preemptive loss, but it's still a loss. It's a loss of what could have been Mm -hmm. and all the things that she's feeling, but won't say. Yep. Um, but I love that she's able to turn around that, you know, she's got a gun in her face. And she's able to turn the entire situation around just by talking. You know? Like, see what happens when she uses her words? (laughs) Right. Use your words, Cassie. But, and she, I mean, she leverages what they both have in common. They both hate the witness. And then it's like team revenge is born. (laughs) It's like quite, it's going to set us off on quite a path for the rest of the. That line is great, though, that he says he's a light in you. Oh, so cold. That is so cold. It's very dark. But I mean, it's just like. (laughs) I mean, I I just like, I'm kind of tired of Ramsey's bullshit at this point because. He's holding her responsible basically for wanting something. And that's just hypocritical because. Wait, what do you mean? I feel like she wanted something from the witness. She wanted to understand something with the witness. And I'm trying to like liken that to his wanting a place in the world, wanting his son. Um, and I just feel like her living the way she she does and wanting what she wants is hypocritical because he's the same exact way. He's kind of, he's kind of, I don't want to call him selfish. Um, no, he's fucking selfish. Um, cause of what he <laughs> no, did. No, like, no more than Jones, but okay. No more than Jones. But for some reason with Ramsey, I just, I, I don't know why I dislike him so much. Maybe it's because of, I don't know. Maybe cause Jones is, is, somehow more understandable but at this point like he's driven by revenge at this point and and he's blinded by his own pain and it's this type of archetypal character in fiction that i tend to dislike because they're too one note at this point in their evolution anyway i you know he's important to the story later on and i appreciate different moments out of him but this is like his his whole arc like at the end of season one, and then this little revenge thing that he has going on that he has in common. I just, I just don't like this version of Ramsey. I just think it's too man painy. <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> Although I do like, I do like that that their little road trip together. Mm. Um, oh, I kind yeah. of like those those moments yeah. where 
Again, what is with Cassie and road trips? Bring oh, out closer. Well, to I mean, because everyone be- takes road right, trips. Be- because we're gonna, what we're gonna get at in the next episode is that's not the only reason why they. That's not the only reason why he hates her, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what with the core of their conflict, when you put aside everything else, is Cole. Um, yeah, he wants to bone Cole. I mean, it's obvious. <laughs> oh man. Um, but it, so. I mean, I, I think it's interesting. You know, you know the line that gives me like gets my what's the right word back up is this this what the witness did to Cassie, like as we've referred to, it, is is mind rape, right? Mm-hmm. And what he says to her in the scene is basically like, what what's the line? Not you wanted it, but like, what does he say exactly? You let it happen. What does he say? There's a lot something, something like that. That's really kind of. I mean, it, it definitely again, as a why? woman, I'm like, what the fuck, right? Like, I mean, he of course doesn't understand the mechanisms. He doesn't like Cassie. He watched her be possessed and act like a fucking crazy exorcist person, right? Like, there's a lot of reasons why, from Ramsey's perspective, he is angry at Cassie and doesn't understand it. Like, how could he possibly understand? But mm-hmm. but that particular line, I was like, oh, man, it sucks. <laughs> like, in that moment, you know? Like, it made me even angrier at him. Because she's well, coping mean- with this trauma, and he's basically like, it's your own fault. Yeah, I think, like, she was trying to take attack with the witness to understand what was going on, you know, to, to make, to, to make a, a difference that didn't have to resort to violence. And the witness completely took advantage of her in that way. And then Ramsey kind of turning it on her. It's just, it's just dist- distasteful from my point of view that, you know, I just don't, I really dislike Ramsey at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. He lit. okay. I looked it up. He literally said, you see what happened to you happened. That's a yep. fucking nightmare what a nightmare thing for a woman to hear after that's happened to her right well i mean mm-hmm. for anybody for anybody but i'm i just uh i feel like i mean but it's it, yeah it's just one of those stereotypical things that men like to throw at women um in many different situations so it's it's Ooh, just that is not just men gross. though that's like uh, blaming the victim. Misogyny, yeah. I mean, it's not just men that do that. Right. It's blaming the victim. Oh, no, 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 no. no. I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, women do the same thing to, to women as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just it's just ugly. On the other hand, you know, he is visibly like they make the like they make a point of showing the bottle of whiskey. He's the performance. He's clearly drunk. Mm-hmm. He's saying ugly things out of grief because he did just lose his son. And he's drunk, and that's when ugly things come out, you know? Yep. So, anyway. Um, ugly, but but how people truly feel usually comes out mm, when they're drunk. Yeah. I it's my, it's my rule of thumb, if you are a nasty drunk, that's who you really are at your core. Because um, I've never known a nasty drunk to not be, have a layer of nastiness underneath when they're sober as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you're happy drunk, though, you can be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, did we do it? We did. Oh it. my god, I'm glad I put that that diaper on. <laughs> I think it'll work just fine for Avengers Endgame. We didn't even take a bathroom break. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know how we've survived. 
Man, I think I cried twice. I mean, Jesus. Oh, my God. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a mom, and I cry over it. I'm sorry. Aww. All right. Um, we wouldn't want you any other way, though, CC. <laughs> That's what makes you special. <laughs> All right. John, thank you so much. I know you how much you love Jones, and I'm so glad you did this episode with us. Well, I'm so glad I got to be here and talk about Lullaby with you guys. It's such a fantastic hour of TV. It's a fucking masterpiece. And it I just love it is. Here. Me too. So hopefully Aww. you'll come back. Hopefully you guys, back. you might make me cry just because you like me a little bit. You need to come back. You know what episode you need to come back for? Which episode? For two reasons. You need to come back for um, 402. Is that Ouroboros? When it is when I just want to come and say Ouroboros a lot. <laughs> when Cole and R- Cole and Jones have to go back in the facility back in time, mm-hmm. and Jones talks to herself. Well, does doesn't um because for two isn't re- every episode isn't every episode already spoken for? No, I mean everything's all because we we used to think we used to think that we could do more than one episode. Listen, <laughs> listen, a podcast. Yes. Oh, you sweet summer child. When CC outlined this podcast on that original document, (laughs) it was going to be 14 episodes. (laughs) And so it's already been like 59 episodes, guys. The first one was like three hours, and then she's like, maybe we need to rethink this. I was on the first one. I was there. I remember. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. Then it went to 19 <laughs> episodes. And then I finally just said to her, like, we're not doing multiple episodes. Case on spy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to come back anytime you need me. But I need to know in I need to know in advance because I got to rewatch. I haven't you guys. I haven't rewatched season three or season four yet. What? Uh, I know. Well, the other I reason, feel like I, the other reason why I want you to come back for that episode is because the scene between Ramsey and Cole is gonna like make you eat all your words. They <laughs> <laughs> just want to get revenge. I, I also feel like I need to go back and rewatch season two to figure out how Jennifer knows what is gonna already happen because she's already lived through it all. Because I don't know when that when she moved in the timeline to whenever she is in time. Oh, okay. I feel dumb now. I know. This is like when we were trying to figure out like how Olivia is the origin of the virus. <laughs> we just, <laughs> just like, I'm sorry, listeners, you listen for four hours and we don't have the answer apparently. <laughs> Except for me, because I'll just come up with something. Right. Like, I'll just be like, and, well, but I have what feelings. I have feelings to offer. <laughs> That's what I have to offer. Yeah, and but I've even if I'm not right, like, I'll just say it as if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so basically, you're you're the man of the podcast. Mm, um, yeah. I'm the addictive personality of the podcast. <laughs> like you know, that's like an addict thing, right? Where you're just like, come up. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> our next episode is going to be our lullaby listener feedback mini pod. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for that one because I want to hear what everybody else has to say. Mm-hmm. And if I, I want to also hear if like anyone actually cries, like they record themselves crying about this. It's going to be, I mean, I'm going to be disappointed if no one cried. I'm pretty sure given on some of the um, names I saw on it that there'll be a high risk of us crying. <laughs> yeah. I did see that Megan left like 
three voicemail messages, which mm. means that's like nine minutes of content. Yeah, we're, we're fucked. <laughs> we're definitely she gets gonna so cry. mad when the when the voicemail cuts her off. She'll be like, "That's bullshit," and she just keeps talking. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, so cute. So our next our next rewatch pod is going to be hyena. Um, Meg says things from Twitter is going to be joining us a new guest on the pod to exciting revel in the all girl chaos squad. Uh, Pallet Man and Oliver Peters, Cassie and Ramsey road trip to the keeper, and one of my favorite tropes, which is the lie detector test. <laughs> I love lie detector tests. I like when people are possessed or and are forced to say what they mean or lie detector tests. I like uncomfortable truths so much um do you guys have anything else um well you can follow me on twitter at cool hand luquette <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah we have i also have a blog stuff. too but i don't know if i'm gonna ever write on that blog ever again you are gonna should write I, again should i like blog cloak and dagger i feel like yes. i need to get obsessed with another oh, we teen meant, show we that meant, people can gatekeep me on we meant to do that um what else what else are you watching everybody oh, recommend one show oh one one how dare okay i'm gonna go out in left field i'm not gonna say cloak and dagger although you should watch you it definitely i'm not gonna say killing eve although you should watch it definitely. i'm gonna go out on a limb here and tell you guys because i need i need i need witnesses i need people to help me out with this hmm. watch the oa on netflix if you get through season two and don't come back to me and say it's the craziest wackiest most imaginative most daring show i don't even know if i like it but i'm fucking in on it you, you i need to i just need to get feedback because i just don't know what to do with myself with this show it's wackadoodle and i kind of love it and kind of hate it at the same time <laughs> all right i'm gonna i'm gonna finish that one for you okay what about you beep uh i'm just finishing humans and it is delightfully awful in the sense of i don't like it how it i don't like what it makes me think about and mm. how terrible a person I am. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very, very well done. It's, uh, I mean, quick rundown. It's about a parallel world in uh, basically the same time as now, though, where people have uh, what are called synths, which is human-style robots. And it's about, you know, what does it mean a lot? Uh, I think I, I'm a bad person, too, if I'd watch that show, because I would be like... Eh, I treat him badly. No, you won't. Wow. I, 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 I bet the show's Probably gonna, not. I bet the show's going to make you feel the opposite. And then you're going to be like, what, but what even am I then? <laughs> I, 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 try, I tried season one. I just, I, I didn't get into it. Maybe I'll give it another whirl. Sometimes you do. I feel like with genre, you got to, right? With sci-fi, you got to give them season one to set it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's every single fucking sci-fi show right. like that. Everyone's like, you got to get through season episode four. And it's like, <laughs> exactly. Right? It's every episode show. Four. Every show. <laughs> every show. Um, And then, so I, we already talked about Russian Doll the last um I've really been enjoying the back half of The Magicians, and I wasn't oh. I wasn't loving the first half, but I'm really like it's really clicking. It's been great. We started Halt and Catch Fire, fan fucking tastic, uh, underrated, yeah, criminally so, which falls into my two categories of either there's crazy sci-fi shit and or people have powers, or it takes place in the past, so it takes place in the eighties. <laughs> So it fits. Um, but it's about sort of, it's basically Mad Men, but about the co like software industry. Um, but it's really, really great so far. 
really, really great characters. Oh, also, I saw that Rectify is on Netflix, which I know that certain of our people have ready to watch. Mm-hmm. Rectify yeah. is. And also, everyone should watch Bob's Burgers. Have that on in the background of your life. So it's just you, you know what I think? Babe, you know what I think everybody should watch? And it's criminal if they don't. Parks and Recreation. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It, like, I don't even want to be friends with people who don't want po- watch Parks and Recreation. I would I wa- definitely agree with that. I watched yeah. the first season. That Shut doesn't even your count. Your face doesn't count. No. You're it, dirty, dirty human being. Watch it. It's not my fault. Every time I try and watch a comedy, my husband's like, no, what about a drama? So, yeah. Oh, Mr. Chick. Mr. Mr. Chick. I know. Suck it. No. He's the best. <laughs> he really is the best. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, I think that, that, I think, I think we're, we've all recommended a show. All right. So if you guys don't have anything else, I'm, I hear Emmett's already sleeping because it's 1230 at night or in the morning. Augie's been a started. I don't even know why. <laughs> All right. We'll see you soon.